is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get anything done in Cork is to go to the Neil That's a Cork threat at this stage, I think. <laughs> the Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. Yes, indeed. The Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes Benz Cork. And I do love Cork people, and we endeavour as best we can, as often as we can, to help uh, Cork people who are in a bit of bother or a time of crisis. And with that in mind, can I go straight to the phone lines if you don't? mind. I want to talk to Josephine Mon about her son, uh, Kevin. Josephine, good morning. Good morning. You've had a terrible, terrible night and overnight with regards to your, your son, Kevin. Um, he's, he's missing, isn't he? Um, i seen him there. Yeah, he was missing. Okay. All, all, basically, he's missing. He was missing out till before nine. Okay. i seen him there coming out of my ex-partner's okay. A hus- ex-husband's car. Right. Um, we didn't even know the it doesn't matter anyway. I didn't know we didn't know the car was open anyway. So basically, he we resuming he must have lied in there last night. Right. Okay. Um, so that's that's I a was, good update because he he, yeah. he lives with autism. He went missing from the house at yeah. half six yesterday. Half six. Yeah. yeah. And then you were out searching from all night and overnight. Apparently, yeah. did somebody spot him around half ten out in Wilton? Um, yeah, ha- before half ten, that was me, myself, myself, my sister Anne, and my friend Kayla. We were, and m- my ex-husband, um, he was, my ex-husband basically was running after him, trying to get him to stop. He yeah. Said, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. Um, basically running after him and couldn't catch him. And um, yeah. basically, he couldn't catch him. So we, did, I, we didn't. I, I didn't even know where that he even found Kevin. So we were walking this time. So we were walking up to the one part of like this, in the Sarsi Road, where. So, he, so, he so he was, he was spotted at half past ten, but he ran off again. And and there was another spotting then at one in the morning, was it? One o'clock. Ah, misfortune. Yeah, yeah. West Lawn again. That was where, where we live. Um, on the. Okay. Okay. On the end of the, the estate, um, on a wall. Um, I was in the car that time at one o'clock, and I said to him, I was going to get out, and I said, Kevin, come into the house, stop. And um, he, he's quick as I seen him. He was gone. I, gone I got okay. out of the car to see, because I don't know where he flew to. I okay. couldn't see an inch of him. Okay. Um, so I said to myself, what I'll do now, he's making his way back home. I said, what I'll do, I'll go into the house, and hopefully he'll make his way in, as I thought. And then went into the house. I said, we won't, no, we won't go around the car. We won't go searching for him. He, he might come home under his own steam. Positive. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. We went back into the house, um, waiting, waiting. Told me friend she'd go home, because God love her, she has, um, her own two children have been to school. She's a mother herself, like, you mean, she yeah. took that much time, like, yeah. to help me, yeah. like, to, yeah. to, like, she was brilliant. That meant an awful lot. Um... So basically, we came into the house anyway. So we we were sitting around waiting for him, waiting for him to come back, and um, not a sign. Only there now this morning. Right. When I looked out the window before nine o'clock, seeing him coming out of the car, and I opened the front door. I, I didn't even bother to make a scene. I, I want able, and I want able to say nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has he come in? So has he come home? He 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 never came into the house. It, Directly, he says he was in his father's car. Right. Did he sleep in the car overnight? That's what I'm assuming. I'm but, assuming think, but is he safe? Car. Is he safe now, Josephine? Yeah. So that must the have just happened in the last few minutes. 
No, that only, yeah, only, it's say give and take, it was before nine, so I guess wow. give and take, it's about 40 minutes got tops, half an hour. Now, where minutes. is he now? This is the point, when he got out of the car, he went walking out of the state. So I think before he, when he came out of the car, he went walking. I said, Kevin, I said, come into the house. I said, you've been gone all night. Come into the house. No, you're grand. That's the word he said to me, yeah. I'm grand. Yeah. So I said, come into the house. Come into the house. So then, wouldn't come in. I said, I'm not putting any shoes to, to give him the drama, thinking that we're going to sit there fun and games because yeah. this is seems to me now he thinks it's funny now this is a joke it's not a joke this is going on since that is he gone again that's then Joseph is he gone again yeah, he's gone venturing around we went looking for him again he's playing mind games he's coming back ah well I mean uh, in fairness now you know, he's, he sounds as if he's a bit a bit troubled but he must be starving is he that's what I mean I can't figure it out it's half past six he left the house yesterday okay. evening he's only 13 he now he's, no he lives with, with autism he's yeah. tall for his age about five feet he's wearing a black pants yeah. black coat with fur mousy brown hair and brown eyes did you call the guards oh yeah the guards was involved the whole lot I went yeah. down to the guards gave his description talked to him what he was wearing um, the, the guard basically it's not no they, they, they're not doing enough they want they, basically I ringing them they're ringing me again update Josie we were in and out to the States I never seen a guard last night at all at all no no did, it, did the guards not call over to the house or anything or did they not say they'd send us they must have a squad car out looking for them though no that's what they're saying but we never see no guards but you think of a child as missing at 13 years of age that you'd have every guard going looking for a child to walk. Me, uh, me ex-husband, he seen a guard up the road and he was talking to them, but I never seen no guard, only one guard car. Daddy should be ashamed of herself. And is this totally out of character for your son? It's totally out of character. He never done this in his life. Never. You know, sometimes something might have upset him and might have been a noise or it might have been, you know, with, with autism, no, the poor no, misfortune no, no, have a meltdown. No. No, what what we, we only thing we can resume why he's done this, he's never ever done this in his lifetime. Right. Okay. It's the only thing. Don't go into anything that's too personal now at this stage, oh, you know? No, Keep no. that to yourself, that's private. But um obviously well, his sister um yeah. his sister basically went off school yesterday and he's he seen like his father his father comes here and visits like sees yeah. or whatever. Okay, okay. And, um, okay, okay. And and basically he's seen the drama that we were saying like things had come back and all that there's a big he's seen this. All right, don't don't go into too much detail about that aspect. What really is important now is that Kevin is found um, and brought home safely for a good breakfast. That we're going to do something to him or something. No, he might be a bit worried about whatever... I don't know. I don't want to go into the details of what happened yesterday. I don't care what's it. Thank God I got to see him. I didn't know if he was there. So you live live around the Wilton area, don't you? And he hasn't actually, he actually hasn't strayed very far from Wilton, at least. Watch this. Am I right? No, he's only around the local area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's only around the local area. Yeah, but you don't want a 13 year old. Uh, with with uh, no, autism issues, like, yeah, not in no, the street. No, 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 no. And I'm delighted that he was safe overnight because God Almighty, that's not a good place to be out in the street oh, for a thirty. Me fear said he's gonna because even when he went missing, but like I never even thought I'd go on these many hours. I never thought down to me I'd go on this. So you have family, you have family and friends out trying to find him or coax him home then. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. We're doing that. My sister was looking for him a minute ago. The coaxing to come back. He's not having it. He's not having it. He will eventually, though. I mean, I know you're upset and everything, but he will eventually, certainly if he gets hungry enough. Still, I can't. I can't. I really can't. You can't see that, but he will. He will. He will. And and I can't. Well, just try and stay positive. I know you're very upset and you're up to 90 about it. But are are you asking people to keep an eye out for him? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Like, oh no, I've told everyone will you keep an eye out of them. I went up to Tesco yesterday. I know some of the, the guys some of the people that works in Tesco. Um and I asked them, my son Kevin and I said, you know, and the and the I I, I like the manager the whole lot and he said, Yeah, Kevin, he even got shot. He said Kevin missing. He said you go to the garage and I said You did, yeah. No, this yeah. is when he only went when he only At the start, went yeah, yeah. That was about half six. And I yes, said, yeah. I have to go to the garage. I said, I have to go to the garage. Right. Well let, 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 Okay. Let us check in with the guards oh. because I know you say they're aware of it. But we'll just, just check in out of courtesy, see if they're uh, if they're giving it the care and attention it deserves and needs. And and I'm yeah, sure that they are. Or maybe or maybe reason why they're not really doing that much, because he's a traveller. Wouldn't shock me because no, right. traveller racist. Do, do, do you think? Do you think? Do you think that? Oh, I do. I know that. I know that because I know that if you're a traveller, you are the worst person in the world. Christine, you ask I'm on. I want Christina. I need to be alone. Christina, can you go away, Christina? Christina, I'm talking here. All right, girl. I'm go on. Friend, I'm right. Okay, Christina. all right. Okay. okay, don't get too worked up there. Don't get too worked up there. Whoever it is, you'll chat with them in a second. Let's let's just see if anybody spots them. Let's see if the guardy are doing the best they can. I give out details of what Kevin looks like and what he's wearing again, and hopefully everything will be resolved very soon. All right, Josephine. Well, you want him to be safe. I know you do. Okay, well, let's... Hang on, I seen him this morning, but God forbid... Oh, he's safe, all right. He's safe. Yeah, no, he's safe. Yeah, and man, be... but he's, like, he's my youngest child. Like, yeah. I only have four children. Yeah. Even if he was never my youngest child. I did no mother. Like, this is heartbreaking what he's doing to me. Not even just me. He's not fair, but he's doing it's me. It's tough on you. It's he's tough. Had it all yeah. Yeah. He's aunts and uncles the whole lot. All out looking. Go on there and chat with Christine there, and I'll chat with you a little later on. Hopefully we'll have good news. All right? Perfect. Thank you very much. All right, Josephine. Take care for now. Our son Kevin uh, lives with autism. Is missing from Wilton. Few sightings since half past six yesterday. He's tall for his age, about five foot. He's wearing a black pants, black coat with fur. He's got mousy brown hair and brown eyes. Totally out of character with him. Hasn't done it before, but a couple of sightings, half ten last night and again at one o'clock this morning and then earlier, just before we came on air. But he's not inclined to want to come home. As the fellow says, when he's hungry enough, he'll come home. But really, you know, you can't just wait around for that. So if indeed you're in that area, we're talking about the greater Wilton area, Wilton uh, area, including areas like West Lawn Estate and areas like that. If you have a sighting or you've seen him, would you ever give us a text? Text 0868104106. Um, and we'll also talk with Angardish. So if he can be found and identified in coaxed home, that will be a job well done. Text 0868 104106. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Hopefully we'll have a good update on that story regarding Kevin in the not too distant future. Front of the Echo this morning talks about the bill for Storm Babette down Middleton Way. In fact, there is uh, um, residents travelling from Middleton and East Cork up to Leinster House today uh, to present a petition of nearly 15,000 signatures calling for the interim urgent flood prevention measures that's needed so this will never happen.
happen again. So front page of making the echo today because uh, the the disclosure of the 55 million euro repair bill might come as a surprise to you. Um, that's uh, a lot more than they ever thought would have been needed, but 55 million. Uh, and that's over and above the annual roads budget, apparently, for the area. So they had to dig deep uh, with a 55 million euro storm Babette bill. So you would think that front and centre in this now would be urgent um, flood prevention so they don't have to spend another 55 million next time round. But it's all it's all money this morning in the papers. The bizarre story of the crystal meth seizure and raid continues to dominate the papers. They've raided another premises now. Of course, we know what happened in the Port of Cork where they found the 540 kilos of crystal meth and then they raided properties and premises down uh, Kerry Way and now a commercial premises in Waterford as well. So another premises raided and that's a story that makes the mail today a lot before the courts then you have awfully sad stories really 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 sad stories of death and loss of life father of three who apparently believed that his wife uh, had cheated on him in the past with his brother-in-law he's been jailed for 10 years for stabbing his relative to death in front of the victim's own wife in broad daylight it's the story of Andrew Andy Cash he was found not guilty of murder but guilty of manslaughter of a John Cash in Kilkenny City and it's a story making the mail today a man jailed for killing brother-in-law he thought was having an affair with his wife and then another one over in Clare the front page of the Sun today where they call it a monster who kicked his uncle to death was jailed for life yesterday a 34 year old gave no reason for the attack uh, and it's a front and inside page story uh, making the uh, the Sun's awful tragedy and sadness and anger and and evilness in the world isn't there and more so in Ireland than ever before if you if you follow uh, court, court reports or criminal activity and then when people do go into jail and they're spending time at the pleasure of the state um, uh, they're apparently they're sipping away or at least some of them are sipping away on Jack Daniels or mini bottles of Malibu or vodka or gin or whatever you're having yourself there's a video that was put up on TikTok quite, TikTok, quite brazen video posted on social media showing or at least appearing to show a huge stash of smuggled drugs phone and booze into Weedfield Prison, the Dublin jail. That's a front and inside page story making the star today where they say uh, large quantities of drugs, miniature bottles of alcohol and handsets. Lots and lots of mobile phones of all shapes and sizes, even chargers, the lot being smuggled in uh, to Dublin's Wheatfield Prison. Uh, and then, of course, RTE and uh, Kevin Backhurst. Uh, he's very much in the uh, limelight now. He's in the headlights now. Not limelight, headlights, I should say, uh, because some are now suggesting that his uh, his future um, is looking quite shaky, that uh, some are suggesting that he's a dead man walking now with regards to the job. Like the mail this morning says that he has lost the confidence of a number of cabinet ministers. According to the mail, he insisted that he won't resign. It's all to do with the ongoing revelations of golden handshakes given to senior executives. And you wouldn't mind if these golden handshakes were before he took over the job as the DG, but it was on his watch as the DG that golden handshakes were given to the likes of Rory Coveney and others. So we've lost confidence in the RTE chief um, and that's apparently the thought process going through senior cabinet ministers within government. So the media minister, Catherine Martin, doesn't go that far. I don't know why she's asking for a cap on any future exit deals for the broadcaster. Uh, and, uh, and and she's also saying there shouldn't be confidentiality clauses. They should be barred or banned. Why is she saying a cap? She should be saying there should be no, absolutely no exit deals for anybody. Particularly if, if back in the day we were told that these individuals resigned. 
You resign, you get absolutely nothing. Right, you don't like. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, the former RT top brass will be asked now uh, if they'll, you know, publish the numbers, publish the names of the people. I mean, just get on with it. He's saying that he can't because of legal reasons. Rory Coveney resigned, um, and he got a payment in the region of two hundred thousand euro. So if you can, if you can say that about Rory Coveney and give the two hundred grand, why can't they do the same for the chief financial officer Richard Collins? So they're going back now to ask Richard Collins if he will waive his confidentiality agreement um, and and allow RT to publish his figure. But then again, if there were resignations, why was there payouts at all? If you're not Sheehan, um, because it's a very grey area now, because back in the day, uh, Kevin Backer said that there were no deals or no payouts apart from statutory entitlements. But a statutory entitlement would not be 200 grand as a golden handshake. So they looked at it again in The Independent today, where they republished Finan Sheehan's questions and answers with uh, Kevin Backhurst. I won't go into huge amounts of details now because it's quite lengthy. But at one stage, Finan Sheehan says, I think people are entitled to know the person who presided over that, as in Toy Show the Musical. Did he get a payment going out the door? Kevin Backhurst said, no. He didn't get a payment going out the door. Right? And then he went on to say, but he is entitled, as other people are, you know, statutory level kind of payment when you leave the organisation. Fiona Shane says, why? If he resigned, why? Kevin Barker said, I'm not going to go into any more than that. Fiona Shane says again, but if he resigned, why is he entitled to any payment? He says, no, it's not fair. There are GDPR rules. I'm not going to break those rules, etc., etc. Then Fiona Sheehan says, it sounds like the same sort of garbage excuses have been cited by RTE for the last eight months to not divulge financial details. Fionn, I've said what I'm going to say about that. But where he really is stuck now is he actually answered the question, did he get a payout, a payment going out the door? No, he didn't get a payment going out the door, full stop. So that's proved now to be inaccurate. And you know what? Words matter and words that you use matter and things you say matter. Um, a lot of other stories, and I'm going to get clear in on this one in a few minutes' time. Crispy Cream have come um, in uh, conflict with uh, on board Planola and Cork City Council with regards to their location on uh, Patrick Street. Now, in the past, there's been issues as well with regards to planning for the likes of Starbucks. Not once, but twice. Starbucks got into hot water with the planners and the council. The Patrick Street um, location, which is now gone, and also for the one in Emmett Place in the Dolls House. And also, I do know that in some years back when the modern turned into super dry super dry got into hot water with regards to their signage uh, with Cork City Council and the planning authorities also so Cork Donut Shop uh, appeal um, well they're appealing the board's refusal this is the American donut chain that opened on Patrick Street was Porter's before that opened last April to much fanfare so is it is it a sit-down cafe and restaurant or is it a place you go in and you buy your donuts and you take them away one of the big issues for Krispy Kreme I'm told is that they don't take cash and I'm wondering again this morning is it actually illegal for a retail premises to refuse to take cash uh, does anybody know? Text 0868104106. Claire joins me in studio. So a bit of a deep dive, if you don't mind, yep. into coffee and donuts. Yeah. So, I mean, Krispy Kreme just reminded me of that time Starbucks 
kind of, you, you know, essentially Starbucks, it's operated by this Dublin-based company, these two brothers, Colin and Kieran Butler. And, you know, when I kind of had a look into them, there's a lot of articles about them not vacating premises, a lot of guff with local council. So here in Cork, they opened three Starbucks cafes. Um, one was on Patrick Street, where Hurley Heath Centre is now there, just between Carroll's and Debenham's. Um, one is on Emmett Place, kind of on the corner of Emmett Place in Upper Lane, and the other one is on Princess Street. So apparently they opened all three stores without the right permission whatsoever so they opened these Starbucks cafes in premises that were had permission just to, to trade as retail. It what, did they put cafe. chairs and tables in or what? Yeah, so so they're all sit-down cafes. Um, now I think the council had problems all three but essentially the Princess Street one and, and the one on Emmett Place there and Upper Lane is still there but the Patrick Street one the council really weren't budging on and Board Planola got involved and they sided with the council on this as well so they opened the cafe in 2015 and it, it only closed in 2018 after just constant back and forth with the council they had removed tables and seats and toilets arguing that the location was operated as a takeaway and in that sense then was a kind of a shop type premises but on Board Planola ruled that that, that did didn't draw to the situation. Could you sit down and have a coffee? And you used to, and then they removed the tables, thinking that that would be a bit of and a why loophole. Wasn't that enough? I don't know. I, I I think they just completely disagreed with that, and that the premises as a coffee shop was not exempt from planning. So it just it just didn't work. So they closed those. A lot of independent cafe owners in Cork as well protested over Why? it. Um, I, I think that the idea of a larger chain as well in Cork, which is a place that really okay. prides itself on, okay. on, on smaller independently owned cafes, okay. was the thing anyway. And I think that when, especially they were just breaking all the rules and rocking up here to Patrick Street. We couldn't do that. Starbucks should not be allowed to Absolutely. do it. They're a big chain. Totally. They got a lot of backing. We don't. We'll yeah. struggle. We'll yeah. lose. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about what about Krispy Kreme? They opened. Let me get the dates right. They opened in April of last year to mm. much fanfare. Mm. We did a huge promotion on the air with them and everything. I think previous to that, they went down and they gave donuts away down at the Marina Market. I think much to the chagrin of some of the people down there. But anyway, that's for another day. So they opened on Patrick's in the old mm. Porter's building. Yeah. And this story has been rattling on with them and the council and on board Planola. Yeah. Why? Why? I don't know. I mean, like again, as you saw in the article in the Echo this morning, especially the signage is. is a big aspect of it and they seem to be keeping in line with the signage that Porter would have had there as well um, again well, Porter's was blue it was actually bigger the Porter the Porter signage was actually bigger the Krispy Kreme one is a little bit to the side the wording in that article it, it states it's something about how the the signage isn't in line with the street and I'm just not really getting that I don't think personally um, do you know I, I understand that the council are trying to keep the city centre as a bustling retail area but you know what Neil like to have a bit of cafe to have people sitting in having a chat do you know that cafe there on the Grand Parade Bean and Leaf there's always, always a buzz around there outdoors, yeah. there's lovely yeah. tables yeah, and chairs out there I like, love it now I think I, I wouldn't say to, to make the whole of Patrick Street restaurants and cafes and things like that but a couple dot around I think they just they create a bit of an atmosphere you know and things like that so I don't really know why they're just going hell for leather on Krispy Kreme but, okay, but what, is the, what is the problem is it, has Krispy Kreme got tables and chairs indoors no. Okay. So what's their problem with them? It, I mean, it would be worse if it was a derelict building. Absolutely. 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 So, so um, and, and when Starbucks was closing, the, the city's head of planning at the time was Pat Ledwidge. And he said he doesn't like to see empty retail units on the city's main street, but he insisted that planning law must be upheld. But, but 
it's retail. There's no internal seating. Yeah. You go in, you get your coffee, and you you, you go in, you get your donut, and you yeah. leave. Yeah, that's it. It's a funny one. You know, I, I think that Krispy Kreme, they opened up and they were that premises and they didn't pretend to be anything else. I think the difference with Starbucks was that they just barreled in there, put up their okay. chairs and tables. Okay. Now, I know that Krispy Kreme are hoping to get chairs and tables in there, but, you know, if that's just the planning law that they don't want seated well, restaurants. Well, if they put and tables there. and chairs in there, right, mm-hmm. and it's not planning for a restaurant or cafe they have a problem then yeah okay okay well okay but they've got another problem they don't take cash yeah I know and that's that's a problem that we hear a lot of here as well do you know yeah. uh, apparently the Competition and Consumer Protection Commissioner says that businesses don't have to accept cash no as long as they indicate with a sign that they don't accept cash I think that's so there's true. no law broken there no okay. I don't think so do you recall do you recall the modern when I it do. became super dry do you I know you did a bit of work on that mm. because in came the super dry and out with the modern but super dry changed the signage yeah. which is quite old now going it back let's say it was 100 years there and they got into trouble didn't they they did and I've just showed you a few pictures there of what they did kind of from how it used to be the modern and then re- like removing the modern signage and then putting up their neon super dry signage and not just the modern signage but all of the um, beautiful beautiful yeah. ornate tile work along the building they whipped it all down do you know what was on those tiles off the top of your head no I know there were small little colourful yeah, mosaics and I was the same and I, I looked closely and they're actually little tiny flowers uh, okay. there was, there's like little okay. daffodil they're back the little there again but they had just again. they just ripped it all and down. doesn't it look much better ah, so, yeah. so yeah. they just removed it all uh, and just put their super dry up um, but that caused a huge fiasco here which you probably remember we were well. on the air I yeah. know there was one of the city architects in fairness to her she got really annoyed mm-hmm. about this and one individual at city council I can't remember her name but she actually went down to the building and, and got seriously involved in this yeah, and, and, the, and made them reverse it. And there was apparently, it all began with a formal complaint from a member of the public, uh, uh, Tony McGrath, stated here in the examiner. And this was back in 2015. And it just created a bit of a chain reaction of people saying, wait a second, now we need to kind of hold on to our heritage here. And it's such a popular building that we're all used to. And the same happened again with Starbucks in their popular building, the, in the location I mentioned there, Emmett Place in Upper Lane. The Dolls House. It's Queen Anne House, what it's known as and again they threw up their signage people weren't happy with it and they were ordered I'm to I'm so glad that, that people you know. exercise their rights when they get something that they think is wrong um, do you remember because I remember and I'm sure I didn't dream it mm-hmm. of Flaherty's Pub on Parnell Place years and years and years ago I think it's the poor relation yeah. of one of Benny's pubs yeah I know they, they did a front mural oh yeah of Elvis was that the building to the left of it I think that was the building to the left of that yeah there was a kind of a big Elvis kind of painting on it massive thing. there was supposed to be like an Italian restaurant going in there I remember the build, the board well it was that. a very popular pub uh, it was great did live gigs and everything a buddy of mine ran a Bernard he's a, he's I a great I remember that kind of as Bernard a child McCarthy. seeing but, that but yeah. they put up he put up a massive huge big mm-hmm full length of the building I do remember that mural of Elvis Presley and there was a bargy bargy for a while Mm. over it and eventually had to paint it down I believe that was to the left of the poor relation Neil I think I I remember there kind of being plans for an Italian restaurant going there I don't know but it was a flaherty I'll check it out though I'll have a look yeah Yeah. Okay. but you know I mean those kinds of things make cork cork do you know especially as a child now I can really remember that in my head and that's what people kind of go away with as well or recognise certain look areas. Look at Singer's Corner. Is, yeah. is, is that still... Is it's that still, still there, yeah. That I, kind don't, of yellow I don't like black. that at all. You don't like it at all? No. Why not? I don't know. It's just... <laughs> it's like it just... It's like I don't like that pair of shoes I don't yeah, like yeah. that colour shirt I it just still says don't like it on it though you know oh, no, Finn's no, Corner no, is no, gone no, now as well I have no issue with that I just it's, the, it's just the I think it's just gaudy yeah 
It's just, but that's just my own interpretation yeah. of it. There are some beautiful murals going up around the place, though, and they're they're stunning. Like that one of Terence McSweeney and his wife, Janoan McCurtain, or Tomas McCurtain, I should say. Yeah. Oh no, there are lovely ones. Yeah. There are yeah lo- I'm yeah. not disputing the murals; they're beautiful. Okay, let's see what happens at Krispy Kreme then. This was yeah, far from far from watch. over. Much obliged. Thank Thanks. you for taking a close look at that. Thank you, Claire O'Connor. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Text or WhatsApp Neil now oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Busy morning this morning. Text 0868104106. A couple of other stories just before I move on. There's uh, interesting research. Women have it all, guys, don't they? They really do. Certainly when it comes to the, the exercise and uh, keeping fit, there's research out this morning saying that women only need to do half as much exercise as men to reap the same benefits to their heart and their health, whether it's cycling or swimming or running or heading to the gym. They're much less likely to die of a heart attack or stroke compared to men, and they have have to put in a lot less effort. Just to cut to the chase here, they're now saying that men have to complete 300 minutes or five hours of moderate exercise to fully benefit from it a week. Women can do the same, not in 300 minutes, but in 140 minutes or two and a half hours, apparently. So lucky in that regard. You never know what's good for you or bad for you. Ever as a kid and you're grown up, you had all these different cereals. It might have been cornflakes or maybe Weetabix or porridge. Now, you hated the porridge, but you loved when you saw a box of Kellogg's cornflakes or whatever. And you'd read the box back to front. You see all the vitamins and A and B and C and D and a thing called niacin, which was added into the cereals. Uh, apparently now this vitamin, which is also available in bread and pasta, it may not be as good as they were saying for all that time because they're now saying, a story from the Mail today, vitamin added to cereals is linked to heart disease. My God, you never know. And the things we put into our body is one thing, but the things that we put on to our body is quite another. You know Claudia Winkleman, who's very much behind the hugely successful series The Traitors. Haven't watched it, but apparently it's a winner, this reality show, and they're filming away. But she's got the most glorious hair, and that seems to be her crowning glory. But also um, beautiful skin, and she tans very well, but she used fake. She uses fake tan, apparently. And she ran out of fake tan during the filming of the traitors up in the remote areas of the Scottish Highlands. So she says, I didn't have my normal fake tan there because it was in the castle. Uh, So what I thought was, let's just use something else. So what did she decide to use to substitute for the fake tan? Bisto gravy granules, lads. And she said that they did a terrific job, the Bisto uh, granules. Um, She says, they came from a shop there are shops in the area and it worked really good. It really works. She previously let people in on a secret, which isn't really much of a secret, that in the past she has used tea or tea bags uh, when she was student 30 years ago. But I think an awful lot of people used tea back in the day on their face to give them a kind of a tanned glow. Uh, imagine, how would that work with the tea bag? Probably a wet tea bag and you just literally dab it all over your face like you would if it were a piece of cotton wool. But there you have it nonetheless. Uh, you know, there's always a plan B. In this case, it was Bisto gravy granules. And then there are two stories. For those of you that do scratch cards or do the lotto, the first one is a story in the sun where a waitress uh, hit the jackpot on a scratch card with her then boyfriend. And she won a million pounds. And she says it has never brought such misery to her life. Um, A girl by the name of uh, Charlotte Cox and a boyfriend, an ex-boyfriend now, a fellow called Michael, Michael Cartledge, they're locked in a bitter bus stop over the winning ticket. It was bought when they visited their local shop together 
last October. Now, the crux to this, I suppose, at the end of the day is who bought the ticket. So Charlotte paid for it and scratched it, but the ex-boyfriend is claiming he suggested the idea and he tried to transfer her cash in the shop to cover the purchase. So that's probably going to go all the way to court, although I don't think he's got much of a chance in that one. And there's another chap then in America who played the Powerball, right? This is the lottery, one of the lotteries in America. And the jackpot in the Powerball was $340 million. So, I mean, to suggest that it's a life-changing jackpot really doesn't do it justice. It's $340 million. I think in America, you can get the lot of it paid over 20 years or something like that. You get a chunk of it every single year. Or you can get a big pile of money at the start, but not the full amount, kind of like a reduced amount. Um, But anyway, that's besides the point. So a Powerball player claims he was denied a life-changing jackpot worth $340 million, despite the fact that his numbers matching the lottery's website last year were published up online for three days. He's now suing Powerball and the lottery company, a fellow by the name of John Cheeks. He bought a Powerball ticket in January of last year. The jackpot went up to $340 million, um, And then he uh, checked them and found that there were his numbers. Uh, he selected the ticket numbers using his family's birth dates. Um, he wasn't any huge rush, but eventually he did check the lottery's website and saw that his winning numbers were up on the website and he believed he was the year's first multimillionaire and that he'd won 340 million. So for three days, those numbers were up on the lottery website and when he went in to the lottery offices uh, to claim his prize, he was told he wasn't the winner. He was told that there was a mistake made and that the lottery posted the wrong numbers on their website. Surely he'd win that. I mean, you can't just say that or... Like even if he like even if he didn't get the whole three hundred and forty million, surely he's entitled to a payout of at least well, I would imagine many millions because it wasn't his fault. They published it. Um, they actually said to him when he was in there, "No, we're not paying out. Wrong numbers. That was a mistake. There's a trash bin over there. You can throw your lottery ticket in that trash can." <laughs> he's got- He's gone legal on it. I mean, what do you think? I mean, those lotteries in America can go absolutely nuts. Um, then they, then apparently it went on and on. The jackpot continued. So they didn't pay him. The jackpot continued to grow up to $755 million before somebody did claim it and won it. So you can't be going around saying human error on this one. I mean, those were the numbers that were published. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens on this one. don't know if anybody had a story like that with regards to lotto tickets or scratch cards. Text 0868104106. Let me get back to that story we were dealing with there with signage or whether it was Krispy Kreme, which is the ongoing one now, the modern back in the day, or indeed the various Starbucks locations in Cork that all came a cropper of Cork City Council and the planning authorities and maybe those involved and in charge of heritage uh, on Leaside. The Cork historian Tom Spalding joins me by phone. Tom, good morning. Good morning. So, How are you? So this uh, this isn't this this story regarding Krispy Kreme isn't isn't the first one, nor was Starbucks. But you recall the modern when uh, Superdry came along? Yes, indeed. Um, that, I mean, it was that was an interesting thing because we had a very well established local business who were still trading, obviously, um, and uh, you know the shop front was 
was designed for them. So they were kind of like a twin, you know, with business and the shop front. And it's always an issue then when a long established business moves on, you know, what do you do with the old branded shop front? Mm. And in the case of Superdry, they had, I think, recalling now, it must be a decade ago, they, they had decided to paint out um, the mosaic tiles and cover the um, lettering. Uh, and under pressure, they removed the paint from the tiles, so we see those those nice um, floral tiles, irises. They painted the everything grey. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Tiles there, and all. Uh, battleship grey. Yeah. And that, that was removed, and so that's beautiful. You can see that now today. But they left the modern lettering covered by their, their branded logo and I suppose from their point of view you know they're the new they're the new tenants that's their business they actually they actually did more than cover it than put a sign over it I'm not so sure I think they may have removed it or at least painted that insert of the modern grey as well yeah but I believe it's still there underneath their 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 present day signage so maybe someday in the future that will be revealed again I, I, I'm i not sure whether they actually took it down here, but they certainly obliterated it in terms of it being visible it's not visible anymore uh, which is kind of a loss to the street but um, you know it, it could have been worse is what I'm saying you know and, and it is a thorny thorny issue like what do you do in these situations there was another well-known issue was uh, a well-known um, chocolate cafe in Cork City. Um, they, there was a shop front on the building uh, and it was, it was green, um, which unfortunately wasn't the corporate colour of the new business. Right. So that shop front, which dated to the late 1930s, was, was hacked off and, and disposed of and a modern shop front was put in um, that matched their new corporate identity. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of say the way that modern retail businesses work, they, they have to have this branded identity often if they've got multiple locations. So there's kind of a logic to that. But then you have to weigh that against local heritage and local local design and, and you know, what makes our streets distinctive too. So it's a very thorny issue. I mean, speaking as a historian and a heritage person, I obviously want to see all of the good quality old stuff kept. But then you have to kind of respect the practicalities of that. I don't That's know about that. You've travelled overseas, Tom. Come on, you know, you've seen a lot of the big corporate brands haven't been allowed to change beautiful listed heritage buildings. And well, they have adopted and they have adopted. And sometimes sometimes you'd pass a McDonald's in some cities around the world, you wouldn't even know it's a McDonald's because they put that their, is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, and the McDonald's is a fascinating case because obviously, you know, years and years ago there were the golden arches, it was all red and yellow and very bright, shall we say. I mean, you could say garish and gaudy, but let's just say bright. Then, in Britain and other places, in the late 80s and early 90s, local authorities started pushing back and saying, you know, in Cambridge, for example, or Oxford, they weren't going to let them have this red and yellow gaudy shop front. They said, you have to change that. So McDonald's went for a kind of dark olive green, right? Yeah. And then that became so popular that I think they used that dark olive green for almost all city centre outlets of McDonald's. I just so think you have to be sympathetic. You know? Yeah, you can push back against these big companies and say, no, that's not what we want in this city. Um, but, you know, again, there's the, the, they are ratepayers. They do have influence over the city that maybe citizens don't have because we don't pay rates. Um, so we're not, you know, directly uh, putting our money into the local authority in the way that the businesses are. Yeah, some things have to go. I mean, Krispy Kreme are are, are appealing whatever decision has been made. There was issues with Starbucks back in the day. Would it not be better? Would it not be better to have, you know, businesses open rather than having, you know, beautiful 
ornate old Cork City businesses or buildings closed um, and dilapidated. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a yeah, couple I mean, of beautiful banks on Patrick Street now. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Are they limestone? One of them is uh, is was it the old? Yeah, there's the old the provincial old... bank. Yeah, yeah, next to Washington um, Waterstones, yeah, which I think has been empty for a number of years. Yeah, you know that's 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 the why this, this is such a thorny issue. I mean, you want businesses, you want active streets, you want people to be coming in and out of the city. You don't want to be putting impossible impediments in front of people in terms of you know opening their businesses. But on the other hand, you've got the way of the heritage. Valid, and, and um, you know, it's easy for me to kind of snipe from the sidelines, but it's actually a really hard thing to kind of resolve. You know, I'd, I'd like to see the needle move slightly more to the heritage side, um, you know, and uh, slightly further away from corporate branding. But it's it's always tricky. It's always tricky. What about what about what about the Orange yeah. Hall building and the silos? That they've they've got to go, don't they? There's nothing can be done about that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, um, you know, um, my, my, my personal view on that is, is that they were a really significant bit of utilitarian architecture in the city, um, and, and they have a real presence in the city. I mean, I'd never argue that they were, were beautiful as such, but they certainly are a real part of the character of that area. And seeing as we've lost most of the other tall silos in that area, they're kind of the last major industrial High rise Do you think something there. could have been done to incorporate them into the, the well, plans for I, the documents? Well, I've heard off the record um, that the nature of the way they were constructed, because they're essentially giant drums inside there. There's you know, hundreds and, well, about 100 um, drums packed tightly inside there. And it was actually apparently very technically difficult to do anything with them. They're not... Um, just high-rise buildings that you and I would be used to. There are these tall, skinny drums packed inside a, a concrete box. Yeah. Um, so, te- structurally speaking, you couldn't just start throwing in floors in there because the oh, walls right. probably weren't strong enough. Yeah. To, so, I mean, there, there are all sorts of issues. Um, there, there have been cases, uh, I believe there's a case in South Africa where they, they weren't able to convert one of these silos into something, you know, a hotel or modern building. But apparently, in this case, it was just technically not feasible. I've okay. heard. Okay. Um, okay. But I, I, ironically, the height of that building is being used to justify the height of the new buildings, even though that building is being demolished. So, so. it's the only way up now. That's all you can do. Just go up. What, yeah. else, what else can yeah. you do? It's a city, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, greater density would give more people on the streets. It'll. It'll. it'll um, hopefully they'll be building homes there rather than just office blocks. Yeah. You know, so hopefully there'll be more robots, there'll be more people around to use the cafes and restaurants and hairdressers and shoe shops and all the things that we, we, not, we like to see around. Bring it on. Just one, yeah. one final thing. I don't know if you're old enough to remember on Parnell Place or Flaherty's Bar, um, and I'm sure I didn't dream this. I wish to God somebody would text me and tell me I'm right. And they, they painted a full-size, massive, the entire building... Um, a mural uh-huh. of Elvis Presley's, I don't know, was it his face or his whole body? Did he have a guitar or something? And they came a cropper of, of Cork City Council as well. Okay. That, I have to say, I'm far too young to remember that now. Neil, I'm far too young. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't recall it at all. You, you'd think, I mean, I, I would imagine, I would like to think I'm an observant person and uh, if it's as big as you say it is, I'd like to think I would have noticed it, but honestly, I, I can't remember it all. Having said that, I'm not a not a big Elvis fan. You know, maybe if it was a band I was more into, I might have <laughs> Okay, <laughs> not your cup of tea. All right. All right, Tom, yeah. thanks for taking the call, historian Tom Spaulding. I didn't dream it, lads. Sure, I didn't. You guys listening to me. I mean, it, it was there, wasn't it? Somebody please confirm it for me. Dan, good morning. 
Okay, so you want to talk about uh, just staying with beautiful old buildings, the old Atkins building on the quay. That's right. I remember a few years ago I was speaking to you about that. Like, and there was one of the verandas taken down and before you were talking to one of the city fellows, like councillors actually, and she said, oh, that was had to be taken down because that's been stored. That's rather dangerous, right? Right. Are we talking no, about Atkins now or are we talking about McKechnie's? Mackenzie's? No, Atkins. Okay, okay. Atkins. That was the old building there. All right, no just, one knows what that building was. Actually, you tried to find out about it, but you couldn't. Okay, where where so, it was it, it wasn't it wasn't facing the quay. It was down the side street, was it? That was along there, along along Port Street, way along the actual Atkins building. Yeah. Okay. It's just yeah. I'm just uh, I'm just trying to dig it up here and get an image of it. But um, so what happened? The the railings were taken down. The brand, one of the brands was taken down. And you were speaking to a man about it, you're calling the other council fellows in the city here. And he said oh, that was rather dangerous, which has been stored. No, there was five of them all together. And they're doing it up at the moment, and I don't see them going up at the moment. Right, okay, okay. And that, and that, and that, is, that is a heritage listed building. Right, there's I hope a, they go back up there. What's going in, in there? Is it a hotel? Yeah, look, we don't know what's going to go in there, do we? Okay, all right. Okay, let, let, let me check that out because uh, you're reminding me of something that I'm not, I don't fully recall, but I certainly will have a closer look at it during the news. Text 0868 104 106. Pick up the phone. Thank you. Somebody already said, Neil, you are correct. There was an Elvis mural. Um, apparently, this chap who got in touch said they used to drink in there. Yeah, it was a great pub, actually. There was always a great buzz and a vibe in there and great live music. And for many years, Joe Mack played in there uh, on a weekly basis. And the place would be absolutely rammed. Thank God I didn't dream it. The Neil Prenderville Show. On Red FM, conversation that matters. Uh, pick up the phone at the Neil Prendival Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Text 0868104106. Just on Parnell Place, Bernard, the man who had the pub down there for many years, actually texted me to confirm, thank you, Bernard, that I wasn't actually dreaming. He says, yes, indeed, it was a full mural and it was Elvis. Somebody else was suggesting I saw a text there a second ago saying that the huge big mural was actually Elvis in full swing. I think he was in full swing, maybe doing one of his uh, Elvis swings or something like that. The text there a second ago from somebody who was describing, yeah, there it is. The mural Neil was Elvis doing his famous dance moves in mid-twist. Yes, indeed, but obviously obviously Obviously, they weren't Elvis Presley fans at Cork City Council because <laughs> they were having none of it. But anyway, happy days. You know, we also talked there about, um, you know, the, the Keys and Atkins and the old McKechnie's building. Well, Atkins apparently will go for a hotel, I think. That's the plan there. Uh, I was reading something during the news there. Uh, so bring that on and, uh, and I'm sure that it will be done very tastefully. But also we got huge developments going on down the docks. Now, you look at what was actually you know, the the reason for the docks in Cork. I mean, we weren't spending too much time on that, of course. It was for import, but very much for export. And so many went out, so many things went out from the docks in Cork for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But I want to chat with Joan Lane, who was one of the last sellers on the coal quay. And she started there in 1963, uh, went in there working alongside her grandmother because her husband, Thomas Lane, who was working for the milling companies down the docks at the time in the in the 60s, he fell um, uh, from a window. Um, he was up cleaning the windows. He wasn't his actual job or anything like that because he was working with the flour and working with the milling and, and things like that. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's a very sad story, actually, because it had a huge impact on the family. Anyway, Joan tells the story, and I'll pick up with her after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now, 0868-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Joan Lane, good morning. 
Good morning, Lee. I'm very glad to have an opportunity to talk to you because people need to hear your story. Uh, how tough life was, a hard life, five kids, uh, looking after a sick husband with little or no money. And it all started back in the 1960s, didn't it? I got married in the 60s. They yeah. fell in love with uh, 18. We were 18 years of age. I was 18. Okay. That was 1958. In 1958, you fell in love with really? Thomas Lane. And the rest... That's right. The rest was history. So, Thomas would have been working on the docks from the age of 14. Is that right? 14. That's right. That's right. And would you got... company worker. Would he have got in a mill, working for the milling company? Would he have got in because yeah. his dad before him and his uncles and what have you were on the docks? He, his uncle got him in there, yes. His uncle got him in there, Muffy. Yeah. His dad died very young, and his mother, his, sister, his brother's sister reared him. Yeah. He was from Pope's Key, my husband, Thomas Lane. So where were you born and reared? I was born in One Creek Place, Claxbridge, where the Dole Office is now. Oh, I know the area. Was, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reared up to 15 years of age there. And were they in the big houses, in the big tenements? There were many families in the big that's houses. That's right, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, that was tough. We have an odd photograph of it, you know. We have a photograph. My sister keeps a big photograph of it. That was, that was uh, tough because there would have been a lot of overcrowding, wouldn't there? Well, my dad, my mum had 10 children in there, actually, 10 of us. There's seven of us still alive. Christ. And it's three gone, passed on. But um, they were very tough times. They were tough times. We had to do many things to live. Like go down and get coal in the, co- the docks, pick it up, put it in the boxcars, get the, get the um, timber, get um, my mum and, and break it up when we go. I sell a dozen of them, a dozen for a shilling. Up the dike, I had my own customers and a boxcar. I was yeah. very, very young. Yeah. We you had to. You started we had nothing. young. Yeah, started young. We had nothing at all. And, nothing in, and, at all. and in later life, then, of course, that stood to you when you were working down the coal cave. But just before all that, when you fell in love and married Thomas, he had steady worked on the dock, so you were probably thinking that things would be good, comfortable, there'd be a regular wage coming in. Yes, well, small, it was small enough, but we managed, we managed, you know, we were happy, we were happy. And when he was about 26, you'd have been like, what, three, maybe four years married in 63. What happened to change all of your lives so desperately? So this, my husband went to work one day because it was important person coming. He was so important that they had to go up and clean windows. My husband went up 35 feet and when they were up there, he fell out of one of the windows, sashes went, where they were supposed to be cleaning. He fell onto an elastic roof. He fell down onto the railway tracks. And I was by the guards that came up for me from the North Abbey. And I, I lived over there, you see, when I got married to Rocksteps. Yeah. And they told me, come with me, your husband's dead. So I said, my neighbours minded the children. One was only seven days old, and I ran up to the, the Salt family. And when I saw him, oh, my God, he was a mummy. They had him, everything I could, nothing, nothing of the body, only two eyes. But you thought, you, he, you had thought, and were told, that he was actually dead. Well, they told me he was dead. The guys that came up said, your husband's dead, you'll have to come with me. God, so you were so expecting to see his corpse, but he may have been very, very badly hurt, but he was still alive. Barely alive, barely. That's what they told me he'd be dead before the day was out. But he told me to mind the children. That's what he said to me now. Don't mind the children. Is that what Thomas said That's to you? All. 
Yes, that was his last. He said to me, and he went to a merciful um, coma and hadn't come over for long. Which I, I can't remember. I know, I know. It was, no. He was in hospital. The baby was one and a half, and he still wasn't out. He was. Then we. He was sick for years. He was sick for years, and then in ninety in. Um, I'd say 10 years after. Yeah. My husband's in and out of hospital. My husband was very bad. There was a lot of broken bones don't, when he had that fall from the window he, down he, through he the paid. asbestos roofs and onto the concrete of the docks. But Every was, part of his body was broken. Especially his head. Yeah. But his, brain, but his brain injury was the uh, big issue, wasn't it? Yes, because he gets fits every day. Epileptic fits. Epileptic fits every day. And he won't be sure what day he'd get one, you know? So things were getting tough for me then because they gave me four pound a week when he first fell and they about gave it to me for about eight weeks and I had to go down myself, take the children down, he would they wouldn't give it to anyone. But they never acknowledged to me once. Not even once. The milling company yeah, how's your uh, husband? The milling company how's gave you husband, gave uh, you four pounds a week for pounds. for only a week, a few eight weeks. weeks. Eight weeks. Yeah, and I have to go down myself. I, I don't want to give it to anybody. And they never asked me once, how was your husband? Is he all right? Is he dead or is he alive? I was so angry with them people. And so it just ended after two months, did it? It ends, oh yes. So I had a grandmother down the cold came, my grandmother. She said to me, Joan, you won't be able to live. You won't be able to live. Why are you going to get now? I said... I go to exchange and maybe they tell us what to do. It was very little, I think. I, I can't remember how much, but it was very little I got. So I went down to Colgate with my grandmother. And she was there for many years. Since the time I did Black and Tan, she'd be telling me all the stories. We forget about that right now. No, no, but I mean, I'm very, very me, interesting that you, you, you started selling alongside her in the Colgate, is it? We're in our, on an Irish box. And your grandmother said, was going way back to the turn of the century and the 10s and the 20s. Yes. And what was she selling for all those years? All those second-hand clothes which I sold and shoes and I'd done it for years myself. Uh, all, everything now we go to bazaars or we go to we go to jumble sales. I mean, I would, would buy up a load of stuff and she'd give me some. She'd say, look, that's now for you and I might make a half crown. And she said, for the, that's, you go home now, get the kids' stuff, come down again tomorrow. Mm. We used to make a few bob. Mm. And that and was because you had... That's for about 10 years, you, I kept my children. It's because you had nothing coming into the house without it. I will not from nothing from the milling company, nothing at all. Nothing, and, and, and there were, di- were, were different times when unemployment benefit would have been very little or nothing. There'd be no disability benefit. There'd be no, would there be any benefit from an accident in the workplace? Nothing like that, No. I never got cares. I won't no. be entitled to that. They told me in nineteen sixty, yeah, yeah, eighty or something or seventy. I wasn't entitled to anything. I, I didn't put in granting because I actually didn't know what was going on. So he, I gave my, so I gave this case to the solicitor, and he said, and when in the six years after six years, he kept he met me on the long finger. And he said to me, "It's like this now." You're not going to court this six, six, six months. You're on the list for next month. They never went to court. Neelit never went to court. Then in 1974, they told my husband he was a liability. They wrote and told him that his job was gone, replaced by somebody else, and nothing then. 
Okay. Then we, okay. we heard that they were giving out redundancy money. So I, I asked about that, and I was turned down because they said he was out in compensation, he wasn't entitled to it. So my husband got no compensation. He got no redundancy. We really got nothing from them in the company. So nothing at all. He, he, he wasn't getting any compensation. He wasn't getting sick pay, except for the two months that he got at the start. That's right, that's yeah. correct, and that's true. Now, the, the exchange did give some small money to us while he was out. Okay, not, you so, know, so you, not very much, no. Yeah. I can't remember, but it wasn't very much. So he had no safety gear on, he had no hard hat, he had no harness no. or anything, and he fell through the window and down onto the, the railway tracks below. He got... No. Uh, onto an elastic roof. I'm looking at it here now, I photographs taken. And onto an elastic roof and onto the railway tracks then. Okay. That would mean so you were only you were only three years married at that stage when I was more Neil. I was uh, I two children in three years. I was about four years married. Okay, sixty three. I was 63. married in the sixties and I had three children at twenty sixty three. Did he did he ever recover? Or was was that pretty much the end of his former life? I mean, was yes. he was he able to get up, go about? Was he in and out of hospital? Would he did he need psychiatric he was, help? He, he was. He was up in St. Anne's. I had to put him up there loads of times because I couldn't manage him. He used to put his head in the oven. And apart from that, he committed suicide about 30 times. Right. So that's all in file in the regional hospital in Cork. He just... So when he, when he was dying, they told me that the brain was completely busted. And uh, that was in 19... He died in 90... When he was 60. He died when he was 60. In 1999. Yeah, yeah. But he had a terrible life. Yeah, me and him, I be honest with all lives were gone. Over that fall, over that accident, all lives were finished. And when he, I couldn't say any more. When he'd have to go into psychiatric care or into St. Anne's, you, you'd go and bring him they home. They took him in there, they did. Yeah. Would you bring I him home? I brought him home several times. Yeah. I brought him home several times as I missed him. And then I couldn't manage him, so he had to go back in again. My doctor used to say, Joan, you can't do it. We put him into the the S N and we'll have to leave him there. But I wouldn't sign the forum. They want him to stay there. I said, no, no, he's coming home to me. No, he, no. He was never really in his right bed. mind, was he? Or was it he was just... No, he gets uh, a fish and he got very cross and he break up the house. Go ahead. Then the children, as they grew up, they were nervous. They got nervous of him, you know. They was run when he got a fish. They'd run I out of the house. The day he, out of that accident, he got the most bad fit that anyone could ever get. They're knocking some very unhappy memories for you down there, lock, knocking all of the silos. Very, the very, building. very upset I was last week. Very upset all together. The thought of it, that they never came to me and said to me, what can I do for you? Or is your husband all right? I know, I know I keep saying it, but you, you, you're adamantly sure you got £4 sick pay for two months and then it stopped. He never went back to work. Nobody ever inquired about him. Was he still employed by them? They wouldn't them? take him back, Neil. They wouldn't take him back. He was 95% damaged. He was 5% for work. But he was 90% couldn't work. They wouldn't take him back. They replaced him with another man, they said. In the job was gone. In this day and age, That's there would have been said. yeah. In this day and age, there would have been a major payout compensation-wise. In the nineteen sixties, oh. God knows, it certainly doesn't sound as if it was that way. No, and I know, as I know, I'm I'm hot like. You went down and started working with your grandmother 
on the cold yeah. clay. And yeah. that, that would have been in the 60s. Have you been there ever since? I'm sitting there all the time. Still I there? my licence. Yes, I sent my licence there. I'm paying my licence. I'm 84 now, Lee. 84. I'm 84. I paid a licence when I was 14. So for 70 I'm years you've been down. I am, and I was on the paper there for 40 years. Back in there, I had all them up in the wall there. I have, I am. I'm all them years down there now, since my husband fell out the window. And has it always been clothes and things that you sold in those 70 years? No, we get, like, when we go to Jumble says now you get shoes, and you get, you get everything to sell. Anyone will come along there now with a nice little bundle, and go beyond, second hand clothes be beyond on the street. But it must no. have been very tough down there with five small children living in a cramped house with very or little money in winter time. Well, now you get your good days and your bad days. And you get, you're not getting to live. I didn't live a big, huge life spending like, oh, I, I have to do this with it. I had to mind me, I had to mind me children first. Yeah. Then I had to mind me home, pay me bills. That's what mothers do, like, that's what we were there for. But you were so minding like, Thomas on top of all of that full time. I was, I was. You might get a fit by a mouse when I get home then. I'd have to look after him and he might be in a chair. For a fit. I dreaded going down there. I had no opportunity. I had no backing. I had no one to give me anything. So did and he I spend... Did he I wouldn't ask for anything. I know. And did he spend the greater part of his life just sitting in a corner? He just loved the telly if it was on. And then for the weekend then I'd ask him. Would you like to go? No. Would you like to go somewhere? No. And we eventually then, he get an odd notion. I think I'll go. And for an hour or two. And he'd come in. The next day then, he's sick again. He was sick all the time. He, he, he was a very, very pleasant. Everyone liked him. He was a lovely, very good husband. In a way that he was couldn't work for me. Like and After the accident, of course, he was gone. He was gone. Totally. It was like he just was, he wasn't the man that you married, but you never stopped loving Not him all, all. But you never stopped loving him all the same. Oh, never, never. We were beautiful dancers. <laughs> we were tango dancers. Once we were champion dancers. It's we done the arcade here. We were, we were, that's ever before this accident now. Ever before we were married. We were, I met him actually being trained dancing. And we were ballroom dancers. I know, but at the age of 26, he was 26 years old. His entire life ends as he knew it, you know? It's awfully sad. 27 he was when he fell. And you... I was was 23, he was 27. And and nobody looked in? No services, no health board, no... Priests, politicians, friends. Did friends tell you that there was something very strange about the whole thing? When I asked for the redundancy one man, he was a very good friend of mine. He said, I stand up and I ask. So he stood up and he said, where's Thomas Lane's redundancy money for his wife? And he said, he's out in compensation. He's not entitled to it. But there, That's was, what the whole but there was no compensation, was. you're saying. There was, there there was, was no compensation. There was two months compensation of four pounds a month, four pounds a week. Yeah. But the man, you see, there's only one man stood up to a whole load of money. Stood. He, That's not fair. That's not right to do that to Joan. And that was we the end of it. Like, that was the end of it, I've never, never heard from Ankinson. So when you went to a solicitor, were you strung along for five or six years and it went nowhere? I was, I was. I, I couldn't name the solicitors now, but I could name them, but I don't want to, I'm afraid. Mm, mm. Well, I know their date. I know their date. And, and tell me, what about Thomas's record of employment? 
Well, he was always good. He always loved work. Now, they weren't paid that much down there at all. They were paid very badly. Yeah. But he loved it. He was never out sick. He was never missing until that day he fell. But wasn't, there, was a ca- the wasn't there a case that his record of employment got burned in a fire in Limerick or something? Yes, that was brought up too. No, no matter, no. like, I think that was brought up under redundancy. I think that was, I don't think that's excuses. No, I think... I find it, that an excuse. Th- th- yeah, it seems as if everywhere you turned, your I life turned was made very, wrong. very difficult, you know? How did you manage uh, to rear those five children? The coal came managed to rear them and I'm proud of it. Yeah, I know, I know. The coal came was there. I had a lovely boy, he passed uh, five years ago. And when they, you know, when they were grown up, I said, I'm going to give you an opportunity. He went to college. He was an t- engineer for Costell, but he died only five years ago. Oh, you can't say that. That's so sad. It's awful so, to use a son or daughter. Mom so he, I have a all good family. I have girls in offices. I have girls... I've been at the buying and had a big job. They're all done well, Neil. They are done well. They have done I well, haven't sure. they? From you on the cold case sure through all sorts of weather. Yeah, I know and I love it. I'm 84 now and I hope before I go that I get. I shame and I name them before I go. It was very unfair, Neil. Very unfair. Yeah, I, I can't help yeah. but wonder, was that just the way it was back in those days when, oh, you know, I you were nothing so. but a number, you were really on minimum wage, a lot, of the, a, lot of the, a lot of the work you got just by turning up on the day, there wasn't a whole lot of respect, it sounds to me, to the working man. Yeah, yeah. We were only poor people. Yeah. We were poor people. Well, and when he died, there wasn't one from the middle company gave me... Even in that case, so we've all done on my mind. That makes you bitter I, as well uh, as sad and angry. Better, it does, bitter, it does. Bitter, bitter. And I'd wonder now, I'm only thinking myself, because I have a lovely family. If it happened to me again, would I be able to do it? I wouldn't. I couldn't live that life again now, you know. But I'm very sorry that my husband at that age had to fall out a window. Yeah, and the life, the long life he should have had ahead of him, a happy life with his wife and the children. I know, I mean, I miss it now when people are saying they're going here and they're going there with their husbands, I'm going to Tenerife or I'm going to Spain. I was a young woman, I was only 58 when he died. I know, I know. And like, I, like, I, I used to be left behind, every woman would be going with their husband. And I always say, I'd love him to be here. For sure, Liam, we can't have everything. Did back. he have a tough end then, or did he die in his sleep? Or well, you well, there I tell you, he had a beautiful end now. Because he was dying above in the region, and, and the doctor sent for us and told us he had three days because the brain was gone, the underseas and the brain and all that. You know what doctors use. So the doctor said, stay around for the six days. I mean, whole family stayed around. So the doctor came down about, she said, he's about three hours. Do you want to go down there? And, and um, your dad is dying. He'd be gone in three hours for half his five. So I went down, put him in the arms. And my real one said, you know, like, she's downstairs now. I saw the nurses now looking at me after all these years. I took him up in my hands and he looked up at me and she looked up over at Vera and he died oh. in my hands. I, I was happy, I was happy. Oh, Joan. He was all about his misery. I know. He was all about his misery. Oh, and it was terrible for him. Uh, yes, you know, fits are terrible. Electric fits are the worst. The tablets wouldn't work at the time. They were giving him tablets. They were very good to him in the region hospital. And they have, they have a big, 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 if, if you ever want to need a big, um, what should I call it? Mm. Uh, you know, your history. Mm. 
this year, you're in, you're in this, you know. Oh, yeah. There's a big one about there. You know, for, um, for anyone that wants to even look at it and see that I'm not telling any lies. You sound, you know, so, am- amazing for 84 years old and still down on the cold K. I am, um, I am. You, you, you sound <laughs> as if you're healthy in mind and body all the same, though. Yeah, and I'm very, and I've lots of friends. I've friends everywhere. You could go all over Cork and they don't know who I am. And I, I mean, the only person, you, I mean, your family must be incredibly pr- proud of your achievement. I mean, I only had a quick chat with Vera, uh, and I was saying to her, you know, this She's is lovely. This is just an incredible story that your mother went through with your husband, with her dad, with their dad, and then she says, "Oh my God, she's an incredible woman." That's what Vera said. People say that, but you know, you've got with your life, boy. You know. But put in front of me, I say, and I had to do it. Yeah, you're all And have to do it for my family anyway. Mm. But no thanks to them, they've done nothing for me, the Millen Company. Well, people need to and hear. He was, That's he was actually a lovely man. He was a beautiful, beautiful looking man. He was actually a lovely man. And he had a personality no one would have. But once that happened to him, I couldn't answer anymore. I couldn't say anymore. And he you were changed, uh, yeah, totally changed. We were changed. And so you were, were left totally on your changed. own to, sl- to struggle and to suffer and to provide as best you could for all those years. And have you any um, intention of retiring or what? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would I do all day now, Neil? But I've great grandchildren. I've grandchildren. They're all... They know, what would I do all day now when I love to go down there and meet a person in the morning? Hello, Joan, good morning. <laughs> Are you all right, girl? I, I, I meet every kind of person. And did you ever, d- mean, did you ever throw on the old shawl when you were down there? Not me and Annie had a show on. Yeah. I never photographed me and Annie. That, uh, she reared them on in Broad Lane. Me dad was reared in Broad Lane. <laughs> me and Annie came from the cold to Broad Lane. Oh, wow. wow. And she came, uh, he went to St. Francis School. I went to St. Francis School. I did. I was baptised in Peachland Park and I went to St. Francis School in an Amistry. You're a woman of our own. You're a woman of the city centre in more ways than one. You, cer- <laughs> you certainly are. I wonder what became of your granny's shawl, though. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but then long ago, they give me a laundry room to the opera house <laughs> and then maybe you'll give a gift. Uh, you know, how they'd use them. Or, she, might have been, you know, anyone, she, she might have been buried in it, maybe. What do you think? No, no, Nanny. I, we dressed Nanny in a, 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 a half lovely white. Uh, she had one of them uh, night dresses made out of them. Uh, flower bags. Cool. She loved that, and we had to put that <laughs> and a black shawl, a black small shawl over. All oh, right, okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> and I mind you now, she was sixty nine when she died. She was very young. No, no. eighty nine. Eighty nine. She was so died. young. <laughs> and she said, she said, "I'll be arms like me." <laughs> Are you all right now, Neil? I'm all right, Are you girl. Okay? It's great chatting with you. I can tell you that. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM A oh, lovely chat with uh, Joan Long um, Joan Lane I should say if that were um, I, know, I know we got some legal advice on it uh, because we were wondering what you know employment law changed um, uh, some years after uh, Joan's husband had his uh, had his accident and uh, I think uh, some you know if, if, he, if he had fallen um, and had suffered uh, awful injuries like he did um, 10 or 15 years later obviously the employment laws had changed uh, greatly since then I know there is there is um, some legal comment that we had on it uh, afterwards to wonder you know how, how could that happen say to anybody in a family like that but it was early uh, 1960s at the time and of course employment law was very 
different at that stage. But um, isn't it an amazing thing you would have somebody that would be able to rear an entire family like that with a sick husband and everything and not allow him to stay in mental institutions back in the day or take him home time after time after time to be with the family. It's a really loving thing, but to be able to rear an entire family um, on uh, the benefit, on the proceeds uh, from sharing a stall with your grandmother down the coke selling second-hand clothes in all sorts of weather. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful, uplifting story, but very sad as well with regards to Joan and her husband and, and the small children and what they went through and his life pretty much ending that day when he fell from that window. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Merle, you're on this morning, and I hope everything works out well with the, with the little lad who's... Uh, Who's actually missing from home in Wilton? But one of and if you have spotted him, I'll give out the details of uh, what he looks like and what he's wearing again. Um, but uh, he has—he's on the autism spectrum. And people, when I when I speak of autism, I always get people correcting me and like, here's a typical. Why does Neil always say lives with autism? The child is autistic, and that is the correct way to say it. I, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. But I do recall in the past dealing with the topic or dealing with children or people on the autism spectrum, and uh, I would say that he's autistic or she's autistic and people would be upset about it they're saying that is not the correct term to use anymore it's lives with autism or on the autism spectrum Uh, but either way if the term he is autistic is okay and acceptable uh, from sufferers or indeed their families I'm all right with that, but a little bit of clarification, lads, if you don't mind. Text 0868104106. Then on RTE, they can't keep hiding behind the mantra that this was a private deal, confidentiality, GDPR. It's not a private deal ever when it's public money is involved. We have a right to know where our tax is going, who got it, and how much in every single case. Uh, Singer's Corner is the most spectacular building to me. Do you even understand art? It's the singer logo. Well, art is in the eye of the beholder, really. You know, one man's meat is another man's poison. You don't have to like all of all of art or what you describe as art. I'm quite sure that people like it and just don't happen to be amongst them. Uh, McKechnie's you were talking about in Camden Quay is currently being rebuilt. Yes, and it will be a big hotel and they will be very sympathetic to the building as well. Just on the subject of restoring buildings and protecting heritage, can I ask you to find out why on earth the beautiful old lanterns on Parliament Bridge are broken for years and why there's no sign of them ever being fixed it could be stunning were it fixed. Could the council ever fix them, says Sarah? It's gone on way too long. Yeah, uh, we build things, uh, of course, in the more modern age then, and God only knows. I mean, you'd be slow enough now at this stage, wouldn't you, to cross Mary Elms Bridge any day, the pedestrian bridge that will take you from one side of the River Lee over to the other, because there's all sorts of carry-on there. It really has been, unfortunately, taken over by misfortune of people who are in the throes of addiction, and there's awful carry-on there. There was a, some video footage of the weekend of a, a young man and a young woman, a woman who were fighting around the bridge for what seemed like a half an hour or longer. I think it started down at Parnell Place bus station and see elderly people there sitting waiting for a bus and these two going hammer and tongs on it and then up around Mary Elms Bridge. It's a lovely bridge and it was put there for all the right reasons but not the safest place anymore, I would think. Text 0868104106. Thank you to everybody that came to my aid regarding the Elvis mural on O'Flaherty's Bar down on Parnell Place. I remember it well, says Sean. A black and white pic of Elvis with a mic. That was around 2002, Sissy. It was Elvis Neal painted on O'Flaherty's bar. You are correct. The proprietor was Tom McCarthy's uncle. 
um, who owns the Longacre Tavern in New York. Yes, Tom McCarthy's uncle, Bernard McCarthy, had it for many years. O'Flaherty's is the building right next to the right of the poor relation. There's a shop called PC Maestro is in there now, 21 and 22 Parnell Place. So I always thought, and I was only passing it, I thought that the poor relation was O'Flaherty's, but it's the building next door. A lot then on different topics of conversation regarding yesterday and we spoke a lot about drugs and the implication of drugs and we'll come back to that but I just want to stop for a few minutes because I remember uh, just before you know I got started this morning we were talking about um, Storm Babette and the amount of damage that it did down uh, in Middleton Way and there were many businesses and many homes and housing estates that really uh, got absolutely hammered with the flood damage and, and of course needed uh, to get financial funding and intervention to help them. They're putting the figure at something like 55 million over and above the annual road budget. I'm not quite sure what they mean above the annual road budget, but they're saying it costs 55 million um, so far. And there is a delegation now um, of residents who are travelling to Leinster House today and they've signed a petition, nearly 15,000 of them, saying get it sorted now so this never happens again. And they themselves are sufferers from the flood and amongst them Caroline Leahy. Caroline, good morning. Uh, right, well if she was there she ain't there now so I can go back in a few minutes time I thought she was on, on line one You're not, let me check again You're not there, no, you there Caroline? No, okay, she's not there So let me try Christian instead and we can even put a figure on the damage to Christian's property Christian, good morning Ah yes, uh, one of those days uh, nothing happening there I'll come back to those calls in a few minutes time and do texts instead from yesterday We're talking about uh, the seizure of crystal meth and then we've been talking about the amount of crack cocaine that is now being smoked on Leaside chatting with a girl who herself is a user and says that there is a drought of heroin on Leaside. So the north side is destroyed with heroin. The dogs on the street know who the dealers are and who they supply, yet nothing is ever done. It just goes bad for, from bad to worse. Would, somebody else is suggesting, wouldn't it be better just to legalise all drugs and the government just to tax them? Uh, no matter what you try to do to stop drugs going into a country, it just can't be done. And there are many of them. The only way to stop drugs cartels is to take away their product legalise it, regulate everything we will then win the war on drugs overnight, then use the, ta- the taxes from the sale for education and rehab Neil, many uh, who crashed the economy back in 08 and 09 got off scot-free even those that did time served short time in prison and came out and still have pensions um, that alone is fueling people that crime does actually pay in Ireland uh, one or two more, the MV Alta, capable of carrying nearly 2,500 tonnes, drifts from the Caribbean to Ballycotton completely unnoticed. Doesn't that prove to you how easy it is for the Colombians to bring cocaine or heroin or crack cocaine or indeed meth um, across the Atlantic? went unnoticed. After Portugal legalised possession of drugs, possession charges went down, but muggings, robberies and assaults rocketed. Go work that out. Uh, Legalised drugs, the government charges 10 euro a gram, a criminal gang charge 5 euro a gram. Who will the addicts addicts buy from? Legalised drugs in this country will go to S-H-I-T-E rapidly, says Pat. Yeah, so you have the government selling the legalised and then the criminal gangs come in and they undercut them and sell them cheaper. Where will the users go to? Um, can you tell me which line is, is there now? One or two? Uh, both. Okay, well I'll talk to Christian first if you don't mind. Christian, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thank you very much. For you're you're me welcome. Can I, can I ask you, are you on a train to Dublin? Are you part of those that are going to Leinster House? 
No, unfortunately, I was working nights last night. So, um, yeah, this should be my sleep time. But okay. Um, okay. I, it's great to be able to talk to you. Okay, well, I will talk with one of those that is travelling. But tell me about the damage done, because I have photographs here in front of me of the damage done to your home by Storm Babette. How extensive was it? Uh, very extensive. Um, electrics, wall, you know, the walls, the floors, every, all our house contents, everything gone. Everything downstairs was gone, wiped out. Okay. And most of it you had to dump out because there are photographs of everything out on the everything front garden. Everything thrown out. Yes, absolutely everything had to be thrown out. Okay. okay. Uh, after the 18th. And, and yeah. what about renovation then and renovation costs? That's, that's the thing. We, we were, we got, um, we got in touch with the humanitarian aid and we were told the process would be very simple. Um, it wasn't. And we, um, in the end, we were offered far less than half of, around 40% of what it would cost. Did you, do, do you have, do you have um, uh, an estimate of damages and repair? Like, I think you put it at 70,000, is it? Wow. Yeah, it, it would be, and that would be a lower estimate. I mean, we were going off, we were going off, um, the lowest estimate of a kitchen that we could, and that was the lowest estimate that we could get, uh, was 13,200. And in the humanitarian aid, we were allotted 3,000 euro to build a kitchen. This is what so, came from the yeah. state under the fund they have called yes. humanitarian yes, aid. Okay, yes. okay, okay. What, what, what else would there have been? There would have been all of the flooring, um, certainly all, all, all of, of the, the furniture. Yes, all of the flooring, all of the furniture. Um, we actually um, decided to, we had to put down a, a timber floor instead of tiles because it was um, cost prohibitive for us to um, to replace exactly what we had. Um you know, I, I, as everything was wiped out. Um, the water and the, and the flooding, when it settled, was up to a windowsill at least, was it? It, it wasn't. It, it was up to our outside windowsills, which are That's what I'm talking low. about. The outside, I have a photograph yeah. here. Yeah. Outside windowsill, yeah. that's the waterline. Yeah, the house on the far right is my, is my house, and it was up there. <laughs> yeah. God. Up to the windowsill. How long did it take to recede and dry out? Well, it... it kind of receded the following day but because it was on mud, muddy water that came in and there had been um, you know, slurry spread and so it, it was a massive clean up. Walls had to be ripped out, floors had to be ripped out. What wasn't floating because the floors were floating at that point um, all our furniture everything had to be ripped out. So you also Absolutely. then would have had of course electrical damage and plumbing damage and all sorts of things like that. that so yeah. when you added it all up it came to, you got two quotes one for 65,000 and one for 75,000. Yes and they were they were low in, in, in our opinions they were low ball quotes. That was using the cheaper materials you know to, to get everything done. Um, yeah. And so you got the, in, you got in aid 13,000. Yes. Now, now, what happened is they they gave us two payments of six thousand five hundred euro, and they told us that uh, we had to complete all works in the house for that money, and then they would get in a surveyor to survey the house, and we had to submit all receipts and everything. So that's never we're never going to be able to do that because we can't finish. We don't have the money to finish. So the downstairs has not been fully repaired. We have we have floors partial floors and we have walls and the electrics are, are sorted um, but other than that we're kind of in limbo. Kitchen? Oh, we, have, we, have three, we have three doors the ki- no kitchen yet we, because we ran out of money. What? Shall I? Yeah. 
How long, I mean, how long ago was the flood? 18th of October. Okay. And we've had two threatened floods since. And uh, no house insurance, no? No, I, we had flood insurance up until 2022 and a change was made to the policy, which I didn't notice, which, which excluded me from flood. Okay. And I only found out the day the assessor came. He okay. said, oh, you don't have flood cover anymore. You yeah. must have nearly collapsed with the shock. Oh, <laughs> my, I, I just, it was the worst day of my life. You're laughing now, but you wouldn't have been laughing on the day thinking you had it, not realising it had been taken off the policy. That's it. That's it. It was taken off the policy, apparently, because the um, insurer that was dealing, a sub of our insurer, decided they didn't want to do flood cover anymore. And it was put in tiny writing, and I didn't notice it. My fault, I didn't notice it. No, no, that's not fair. That should have been majorly flagged to you on renewal. It really should. It really should. Hold on on there, because I want to talk to Caroline, because I do have her now. She's uh, herself and 14 others on the train. That's why the line dropped. My apologies. Caroline, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thank you for talking to me. You're more than welcome. How much of Christian's story did you hear? Um, All of it. Um, Yeah, Christian's a member of our group as well, the Middle Chinese Park Club Protection Group. So, um, you know, I I, I know this story. How typical is his story, please? Um, It's across the board. Um, I I don't think I've met a single person that has received a payment under the humanitarian aid that has been adequate. It's, It's not just inadequate, it's completely not feasible in any walk of life to fix your home. And can I ask you can I ask have. you about your own damage if you don't mind? It's important to yeah. personalise things. Where where do you, where do you live and what happened? I live in Chirkloon in Middleton. Um so we had three foot of water in our house. Uh, similar to kitchens actually up to the kitchen worktop. Um estimates from our assessors are coming in at around the seventy thousand, which is just structural before we ever buy a couch or a cushion. Um our entire downstairs was gutted. And I think until you've experienced yourself, you don't quite realise the level of damage. I mean, our walls literally had to be cut out from four foot down and re-plastered, re-skid, re-slapped, re-plastered. You know, it's, it's, you literally bring your house back to the studs. Um, and that's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Like, we worked for our house, as have most people. We've saved for every thing we had in there. We saved for the deposit in the first place. And to sit back and watch your walls be ripped out is um, heartbreaking if it's good enough work. And, and I know that Christian got two different independent quotes, which is the smart thing to do. One for 65000 another for 75000 Did you get a second quote besides the quote that you got for, I think, it, did you say um, seventy well, grand? We're slightly different, Christian, in that we were one of the lucky ones that had insurance this time. So we had an independent assessor uh, quote up for those building works for us and do the negotiations with the insurance company. Oh my God. Because we were how, how quite, lucky. quite a bit. How we lucky. were quite a bit underinsured, is what I would say. But I mean, lucky in comparison to most people. But we are living with the fear that we won't have that next time. I mean, we haven't hope of having that flood covered. They the won't time. renew with um, flood insurance after this quote, surely? No. No, not a hope. Okay. Not a hope. So how many how many people I know that there are fourteen or fifteen of you travelling with a petition today, which fourteen thousand seven hundred and twenty two people have signed. How many how many families do you represent and, and, and are there businesses being represented as well? Um there are businesses in our group. I mean we're we're like we like to say that we're representing the whole of East Cork. Um but businesses generally have the chamber um to speak on their behalf, whereas the residents were kind of being left in an element of limbo because there wasn't a, a group there to speak up for us. Um, so that's where we've stepped in. But I mean, 
the, the reports at the time that the houses that were damaged were being reported about 100 houses. In reality, that's more like 500 houses across East Cork and close to 300 businesses. So, like, I'm at, if an average house has three people in it, that's, that's 1,500 people. Um, like, some families are still displaced where some children are with one sister, some children are with the other, because their homes just aren't livable. And we're four months down the line. Um, it's just... It's a nightmare. It's a, it's a living nightmare okay. for everyone. So, what, so, so if 500 family homes, 300 businesses, let's look at the family homes. Yeah. How Would the majority of them have not had flood insurance? Um, I would say most of them probably haven't had flood insurance. I don't have the and, stats on that, but I, and certainly are, from what I've been speaking are, to. Are most of them coming in with estimates of 55 and 60 grand repairs? Easily. And easily. are most of them minimum. being offered a cap of twelve or 13,000 from the fund? Yeah, if that. If, if that. that. I've heard stories of people getting 6,000 euros uh, where they've had the same level of damage to their house as mine. I've heard a story from more than one person actually where they were offered the allowance they were offered uh, under the humanitarian aid to replace their carpet on their stairs was 155 euros because only the first four steps of their stairs were damaged by the flood. Ah, that's cruel. No, that is just is cruel. Lunacy. That's cruel. Lunacy, yeah. And so what did yeah. they spend 55 million on? The headline in the Echo this morning says it cost them 55 million. What did they spend it on? I'm guessing, but I don't know, that that's more to do with general maintenance after the flood rather than actually going to the people impacted by the flood. You know, I suppose in, in our estate, well, it still hasn't been repaired, in fact, but in our estate, there's been fencing damage and whatnot where the water broke the bank of the river. So I would imagine it was more for things okay. like that than actually okay. going to the people that needed it. And what do you wish to achieve today? What do you want to happen? I, I suppose our main focus for the petition is to try and stop this from happening again. We're being told we're 10 years off uh, the big plan for flood defences. Planning isn't going in until the end of 2025. It's been talked about since 2010 in East Cork. It's just not good enough. Um, so we want to get that set up. We want interim measures in the meantime to protect our homes. They need to start looking at natural flood defences, building up uh, embankments, giving us flood barriers. I for get all, no, no, I get all of that. But what about the gap in between the yeah, amount we're, of work that's needs doing? Of the, yeah. Sorry, sorry. We're raising the humanitarian aid as part of the petition also. I think the main problem here is there's a disconnect between what's been promised and what's been delivered and the reason being it's been delivered through the social welfare the social welfare payment so through no fault of their own but the social welfare officers are delivering it like that and treating it as, as you would say if you were applying for a medical card or whatnot the process is almost the same you know you're going through the same similar form similar are, are you saying that to get the aid it. to get the aid you have to be means tested oh means tested yeah yeah means tested and not just that so the form would say a nine page form you have to submit your bank statements, pay slips, posts, etc. Then they go look at that for a couple of weeks and then they come back and say, oh, no, we actually need a video of your house. And then they go look at that and then come back and say they need something else. And I mean, the, even the process of the means testing is difficult for somebody to, to deal with in the initial aftermath of a flood when your house has been wiped out to then have to go and... I, I would suggest know, that it's okay. That I think it's okay that someone would have to produce photographs and videos. I mean, that that's yes, proper protocol. Yeah. But um, to have it means... To, so is it a case then that some people have been refused aid? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even myself, I'm underinsured. My assessor estimates by about 20,000 euros. So I applied for the humanitarian aid to fill that gap. And most people are being told if you have any level of insurance at all, it's an outright refusal. We've had stories of people that got insurance for, very, for maybe 12,000 euros because it was all the insurance company would give them. 
because they had previously flooded. And they've only got 12,000 euros with 70,000, 80,000 euros worth of damage and they're being refused any sort of bridging support okay. there. Okay. Like, almost penalised for having the insurance to begin with. Oh my God, it's um, it's amazing that people aren't, I mean, freaking out even more because um, I, was, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't aware that they'd been found as wanting. Well, well, okay, so I'm going to come back to this after after 11, if, if you don't mind, Caroline, but I want to let Christian go. Yeah. Christian, what are you going to do to to, to, to to fill the gap financially? Well, we've, we've had to use um, some of my son's college fund. Um, I'm working Thank God I'm back at work. Um, and I don't know I don't know how we're going to finish. My, my children live in their bedrooms since October 18th. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard on them. My son gets nightmares. My daughter's back sleeping with us. It's, it's a devastating for them. It's devastating for us to see them suffer like that. Um, how, and I don't know how we're going to complete. But how do you, just very fine, how, how do you cook if you haven't got a, a kitchen? No, I, I don't have a kitchen, but um, the Middleton Hub gave me a donated cooker and a donated fridge, and they're standing in the middle of my, my kitchen on concrete floors. Oh, my God, man. Oh, my God. OK, I'm going to come back after 11. Thank you both. Thank you, Christian, and thank you also uh, to Caroline. I might have had a chance to catch up with her again, but I see one or two other calls in this after 11. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM conversation that matters. And I just remind you, started the program this morning chatting with Josephine Mon, whose son Kevin, uh, autistic lad, 13 years old, has been missing from Wilton uh, since uh, half past six yesterday evening. Now, there was a couple of sightings. He was sighted around about half past ten. He uh, was out all night. There was uh, another sighting then at about one o'clock in the morning and yet another one earlier this morning, but they just can't seem to coax or encourage him to come home. Now, the Garda Shikona are searching, for sure they are. Uh, but if I could just give out a description of the lad, he's uh, 13-year-old Kevin. He is tall for his age, around about five feet. He's wearing black pants, black coat with fur. He has mousy brown hair and brown eyes. He's very much out of character of him, says his mam, Josephine. We're sharing it on social this morning. I don't know whether you managed to get a photograph, but it's in and around the greater Wilton area. His own estate, yes, thank you, it is up on social now, good. Uh, so it's uh, his, his estate area would be West Lawn Estate, but all of that um, extended area of Wilton is where he has been spotted. So if, if you do spot on this morning, can you please get in touch? Text 0868 We'll pass on details to Josephine and also to Ungarda Shikona. There may well even be uh, an update. Uh, Kevin joins me, all right? What yeah, no, sorry, no no serious update okay. in terms of, of that. But I just we had a few calls from people who were a little bit confused. I just want to make it very clear. Um, I think that because he was seen in a car last night late, people were under the understanding that he'd been found. We actually had a few people calling and saying he's been found, but he hasn't been found. We just contacted uh, Josephine there. He's still out there. So it's about trying to encourage going. and coax him home really. Yeah. He, he doesn't wish to uh, for reasons best known to himself to come home. There have been sightings. Okay. He yeah. hasn't been Definitely found. Definitely not. Just wanted to make that very clear. Yeah and he hasn't been home since half past six last night and I don't know whether he's eating or not but if, if I was out from half past six last night and it's now ten past twelve minutes past eleven I would be absolutely famished and frozen and tired but for reasons best known to him at the moment um, but anyway yeah, if you if you do sight him please pick up the phone text 0868104106 and we can pass on the details. His name is Kevin and uh, if, you, if, if, you, if you spot him try and have a chat with him and see how he's at and you know maybe you might be able to, um, you know, walk along and chat with them while you give us a text and we can maybe hope to make a difference. Now, in in just from 
just staying with this I'll come back to other texts in a few minutes time so here we have the flooding down from Babette last October down in Middleton so 500 homes and over 300 businesses were affected and the government at the time I, I remember it uh, we're saying worse to the effect that they wouldn't be found wanting, but they have been found wanting yet again because many of the homes, um, the actual quotes are coming in at anywhere between fifty and sixty-five thousand for repair work, um, and it is quite, um, it is quite detailed the amount of repair work that people have to do. So, without me going through, you know, kitchen and appliances and actually fitted kitchens and flooring uh, and walls and stairs and carpets and trying to dry the place out and electrical work and everything. That's what you're talking about these days. Um, and now you are asked to provide, I get it, video footage and photographs of the damage. But it's means tested. Um, so your means tested as if you're applying for some kind of disability or social welfare. And I don't know that that's altogether fair. Either they're going to pick up the tab or they're not. I mean, we're, we're, we're fine when it comes to helping international and human, humanitarian aid. Don't get me wrong. I've no issue in the whole wide world with 20 million euro going to uh, uh, Palestinian refugees. God knows what what's happening to the hands of uh, the Israeli army and Netanyahu. Mind you, we do uh, spend um, foreign aid of just over three quarters of a billion a year. They even increased it by 8.5% in the last budget. Nearly three, just over three quarters of a billion a year in foreign aid. So let's not be found wanting in this. And I hope that those that are travelling to Leinster House today will get good news because if somebody like, say, for instance, our caller earlier uh, comes in with the bill of 65,000 and they're offered 13,000, you wouldn't even get a new kitchen for that. Uh, and you should be able to go back to where you were. Either the government's going to help or it's not, but not this kind of little drip feed of a few bob here and there. But anyway, so I'll stay with this for a little while, if you don't mind. Vivian, good morning. Good morning. Are you also on the same train this morning with Caroline travelling to Dublin? Yes, I am. We're all travelling together this morning. Have you arrived yet? No, we're just in a taxi now trying to get to the last destination. All right, so you've arrived in Dublin. You live in Glenfia and you live in Glenfia. Tell Tell me about your damage and tell me about your estimates of repair. Um, I mean, Glenfia, yep, the damage was un, 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 unthinkable. We didn't think that, like, just to give you, put a, a picture in your mind, we were flooded by rainwater. There was no dramatic bursting of rivers or anything like that, like Middleton had and all other areas of East Cork. We were flooded by rain. Where so is Glenfia then? Where exactly is it? Glenfia, it's in Mogili okay. in East Cork. It's okay, okay. Like, on, back to, on the 18th of October, slurry off the field was washed in the front and back doors of 30 houses with astonishing speed. It was just un, unthinkable that, like, that it could even happen there. And because they're timber-framed houses, the water gushed into the foundation through the ground-level vents and pushed floorboards and washing machines out of the way with just the sheer force of it. It was it was devastating, absolutely devastating. Like For weeks afterwards, we were up to our necks in mud and just... Well, like, we couldn't like we couldn't even like, get a toss straight or anything. Like we we knew we had no flood cover ourselves. So when we heard about the humanitarian fund, we were just immensely grateful. It was a weight lifted so that some, there was some little bit of hope. Like we were on our knees in the midst of rubble and in complete shock. And then you know being asked to prove then that we were flooded and that we were in trouble. It, it was hard. hard and the, but, what, but, but when you say prove, I mean, it's, it's, it's reasonable enough to ask for photographs and video footage, I know, in, in, in the height of it. Of course, yes, you know, yes. Yeah, yeah. But when you think of it, like, they also asked us to fill in a nine-page document, add in an itemised account of what was lost. We had to provide the pay slips, which you understand, the bank statements, along with credit union accounts, proof of address, 
insurance refused a letter. But this is all without electricity, no internet access or any access to any IT equipment. And like we were weeks, weeks trying to do this and trying to dry out our homes while living in it, might I add, like after going through such a traumatic event. It was, it's just unbearable. And what was it slurry? So, the close of the season was just the weeks, the days before the 18th of October. So God. yes, there was slurry spread oh, all over those fields. Oh and that was what, you could see it washed in and it came in and up like, every, like everybody else, it came up to our countertop in our kitchen. The we had to cut away everything. Everything's cut gone. Oh, sure everything was thrown out, just like Christian earlier on this morning. Everything was literally yeah, thrown out like, into the front yard. So what, what estimate of damage did you get from, uh, you, had, you, had to, you had to get quotes from all the different trades. What did it total? They, like, they varied. So they're talking 60,000 to 63,000 is what I was quoted. I had to get two quotes to, for the humanitarian fund to access it. So I had to go to get two separate builders, which we didn't know at the time when we were filling out and filling out the forms and doing it. That came later. We weren't advised that for weeks. And have you received much and is much work done to repair the home? No, I'm still living with, like, my... I have no kitchen still. I still have camping tables put up, just temporary temporary things up. I, my concrete floors, I painted them because I knew I wouldn't be able to afford to do anything yet. So, but I, like, I'm working away with what I have, and I'm so grateful to get anything. I, like, I have, I have nothing. But, like, in December, we were told, like, we received a letter saying that we were going to be offered the money. But the offer was 50% of the total rebuild cost. And then, and a part of that letter, we were told that we couldn't actually access any of it until the work was done, investigated, and the invoices were submitted, which... I don't know about anybody else, but I certainly couldn't get any builder to come and commit to doing any work without any any payment up front or any deposits or any even even if any you showed the builder saying that it would be paid or at least would well, it all would it all be paid or fifty percent of it? No, it's only fifty percent is what I was being offered. Okay, so, so yeah, no build no builder's going to do that, knowing that he could be or she could be out twenty five thirty grand at the end of the job. No. And that was the catch. It was also in the letter that we had to go through either build one of the builders that we that quoted us originally. So whoever quoted sixty three thousand, I had to go through through him and ask him to do all the work at a fifty fifty percent loss. So like I have neighbours and their builders just walked. So they, there's nobody going to do that. They can't commit to that. And that, the social welfare can see my account. Say no, I don't have the money to cover it. So I had to go back to them and appeal that decision, just point out that it wasn't feasible. And it, was, it wasn't until I did that then that I was offered a portion of funds then. But I was advised that the fund was not calculated on my loss. So all the, all the itemised accounts that I gave was useless, but it was pointless that I had to go through all that. And then... How does it... Okay. That's the, that okay. it's calculated on square footage of the property. Okay. So have you, have you done any of the work? Yes, I have put back my wall. That was my priority, and I put a new front door, and that's as far as I got now so far. And they'll they'll I give you what's more important. You know okay, what I mean? but I mean, so I'm just curious so about the... the. What I'm trying to say is, I can't access the end of the money because I'll never have the full amount of the work done. That's the interior. Do you how, know much what I mean? they, how much do they? How much do they give you? How much do they give you in the interim? They gave me twenty percent or seventy percent of it. I was much better off than Christian. I had Why, I wh- given... wh- so. Did you get seventy percent of the sixty-three grand? 
No, I got 70% of, 50% of of that. You got 70% of half of the quote. Um, Why why then would Christian get 13 grand? That's the thing, it's means tested. So going through, they they do case by case as far as I can tell. I can't. But he has has no money. He's eaten into his son's college fund. Yeah, I understand. But that's that's the question for the social department and for the government. That's why that's why we're going to these. The way we're coming up to Dublin and why we're not getting the support that we're promised and that the country are being told we're given. No, that's why it's important on the air to, um, you know, to, to nail that myth uh, that everything is fine and hunky-dory and everybody's been looked after. How does it make you all feel that you're not being looked after? It's heartbreaking. There are so many people that have gone through this. It's heartbreaking. And there's small little things that can be done. Like, uh, also in Mogili, we were a small, we're a small community, but we put forward proposals, like a simple litigation process that would just... It would see like any excess water being held in fields and responsibly released across the road to the Dower River. Well, listen, I haven't even started on the fact that all of this could happen again. But the, the season, we've been threatened, so we're, we're constantly threatened. That it's rainwater. We're living in Ireland. We can't escape the rain. And this is coming in. We're, water's coming into us without oh, no. any ri- um, weather, weather warning. I can like, feel the frustration. I can hear the frustration we, in your voice. All yeah. we need is the OPW to agree that our proposal is actually common sense and it will work and that just to give us the permission we're not asking them for any money for it to do it we've access to the expertise we've access to the machinery that need that it takes to do it yeah yeah no and that that is that is an issue the worry the worry of yeah yeah, there there is the worry of another babette or something similar again next winter or who knows when but also the the big gap in payouts and funding and help that's a serious issue if there's like 500 families and family homes um, Let me just like like we are so grateful to get any help, but a lot of it like we don't, we don't need like, extra stress. We don't need it, no, and like just on on that the HSC they announced supports for all for mental health for the adults, but I've never heard any mention of anything for the children. I know, I know, I know. So, you know. my children have watched me for weeks on a phone. They think Mammy cares only about the phone and not about them. And they're traumatized. They were in the house with me. We got trapped in there. Okay, and, okay. I know. And there's no support. And it, was very, and it was very traumatic then. It's very traumatic, yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Okay. Even for people watching to see the whole of East Court get submerged. Oh, we saw the aerial footages. No, the aerial oh, footage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And tell me, who do, you, who do you hope to meet at Leinster House, yourself and Caroline and all the others? Well, I want to meet all of them, but we just have to put up with who's there. Uh, obviously, I want the OPW there. Oh, has Micheál Martin there? Is Simon Coveney there? Is Michael McGrath there? Will Tommy Gould be there? We Will Donna Coleary be there? We won't. They've all been invited, but we won't know till we walk right. in the door. All right, OK. As far as I know, okay. we don't have the responses. Oh, you, you, you were in touch with them? You were in touch with them, though? Everybody was invited yeah, through email. Okay, let's see. Let's see what happens at lunchtime. I'll let you clip on there, and we'll chat again, Vivian. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Good luck at lunchtime. Meanwhile, of course, when it's everybody else's money, it's a totally different world, isn't it? When it's public money's been spent on different things. I get the. I understand overseas aid and foreign aid and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. I certainly. I would have absolutely no issue in the wide world giving money to the misfortune of people in Palestine of that you can be sure. But, you know, you see it with RTE and the golden handshakes are, as I saw recently, the HSE spending 413 million euro, your money, 
your money, 430 million on agency staff between January and August last year because they can't get staff to salary them and employ them. I don't know why. Is there a, there's a freeze now, isn't there, on hiring in the HSE? And I hear that. So 430 million, according to the Echo. If you break it down, 159 million of it was spent on agency staff for support services. 95 million was spent on agency nursing staff. 93 million was spent on agency medical and dental staff and 53 million on management and administration staff 24.5 million on paramedical staff and 2.5 million on maintenance and technical staff all given to agencies to provide the staff to do the work you couldn't make it up lads text 0868104106 The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM Conversation that matters Chat with those uh, yeah, chaps and these people that have gone to Dublin from Middleton and the Greater East Cork area uh, again in the morning see how they get on and see who meets them with their petition and whether any Cork TD will come and do the decent thing and the mannerly thing and meet with them Do you remember yesterday I was telling you about the 85 year old man I got a very heart, uh, a very moving emotional email from family members at 85 uh, I won't go through all of the issues he's having with his health although it is very extensive but the crux of it was that the main point that was being made was you know even though they have a GP and he has a GP it will be many weeks before they can get in. but I mean that now many weeks not this week not next week and possibly not for the next few weeks can you be seen by your GP. That obviously prompted another one and I think we shared this one on social and got a response from many people on it. It was a short text that came in yesterday following my uh, reading of that email. It says, my da- Hi Neil, my dad went into the GP saying that he can't breathe. They said there is nothing available for three weeks. 11 years with breathing issues, my dad, and a very bad pain in his chest. It turns out it's a hernia, and now he has to wait God knows how long for a GP or a specialist to see him. What kind of society are we living in where a sick man can't get help? Yeah, there you go. But that is the society we're living in. Um, and I won't go on to the amount of money that the HSE spends on different things, including agency staff. Meanwhile, talking about, um, you know, issues regarding drugs yesterday following the crystal meth seizure, whether it's whether it's crystal meth, which doesn't really have seemed to have taken a hold here. Fentanyl is a problem in Ireland now. Um, certainly it is. Amphetamines and tablets, clearly. Uh, heroin, uh, cocaine, crack cocaine, spice, things like that. Within five minutes' walk of the Metropole, I saw a lot of dealing on Mary Elms Bridge. Uh, t- and I saw a couple fighting over a deal on Merchant's Quay at the bus office. I saw a gang threaten to blow the windows in around the security down there at the bus station. I believe it's crack cocaine that's driving all the anger. I know from experience, as my nephew and niece were both on heroin, and any time they took heroin, uh, they fell asleep. So this isn't heroin. It's crack cocaine. Yeah, we had a, a, a woman on the air yesterday that Seamus spoke to downtown. I think her name was Jennifer, if I remember correctly, and she was talking about um, the shortage of heroin and that everybody has turned to crack cocaine. It's completely too naive that making drugs legal would get rid of criminals or cartels. It would make the market bigger, says Kate, because of price wars between the legal and the illegal dealers. There'll be a price war between the government's price and the dealer's price. If we can't get rid of criminals now, what makes anyone think that they will go away when drugs are legal, says Kate? Um, I have to say, I, I tend to agree with that. I think maybe we're being somewhat naive in that regard. But, how and ever, Mary Elms Bridge, i tell you something, beautiful bridge, and it was put there with the best of intentions. 
but uh, it ain't the best place in the world to be sitting down having your lunch or even crossing these days. God only knows. Uh, text 0868104106. I did mention issues then in and around... Um, well, do you remember yesterday I was telling you the story of uh, the ex-Lord Mayor of Cork, um, uh, Deirdre Ford. She was telling the echo that, um, per- particularly in the, the greater Douglas area and Cargilline area, that residents are concerned uh, about too many incidents of unruly behaviour. I think uh, some rough antisocial horseplay, as she put it. It's a lot worse than that, actually, or at least it was when you had the gangs going down fighting in Cargilline. Uh, and at the moment, Douglas, I know for sure personally that for the past six months now, there's been a pl- there's been a plague of egg throwing. Uh, it might sound like a bit of a prank to you, or for God's sake, get over it, but. It's a lot worse than that if your house has ever been egged or the windows of your house and trying to clean it. It's, it's disgusting. Marie says, who, who, whose kids are they throwing eggs? Uh, where is all this coming from? Are, are they young people or what? Yes, they are. And a lot of the time they're cycling around on bikes. It's disgraceful, she says. I've never seen carry-on like that. If it was my house, uh, they would go down. They would go down badly. Yeah, well, you wouldn't catch them, you see, because they're gone before you know it. My 15-year-old son was on the 207 bus yesterday, uh, Monday the 19th at 7.20 a.m., by himself going to school in town 20 past 7 in the morning going to school a lad asked him where he was from my son replied Douglas this guy said he was going to kick his head in when he got off the bus my son got off the bus at Patrick Street as it was the busiest spot the boy followed him off the bus when my son got to Merchant's Quay the guy started beating him up I am liaising with the guardie the school and bus errand the lad was wearing a green hooded fur jacket with a hood up. It was the first bus of the day. The lad got on around the Donnybrook Douglas area. If anyone saw the guy, maybe they could contact the guardie. Believe me when I tell you, I am devastated. There has been a spate of attacks on teenagers in and around Douglas. So there is a typical example. Lad gets on the 20 past 7 bus on his own, as he should be able to. He's 15 years old, going to school in town. This fellow says, I'm going to kick the head off you when you get off the bus. And he did kick the head off him. I really hope something will be done with more Garda presence and a station open for the public in Douglas. I understand that it won't fully solve the problem around Douglas, but more Garda presence would definitely help, wouldn't it? And would be a step in the right direction. I also have young teenagers who are out and about, and it is frightening for us as parents. The kids do not feel safe anywhere in Douglas Village, especially during the day. What? You'd think it would be at night. My son, who was 14, was approached by three other older lads in Douglas Community Park at 2 p.m., Uh, They tried to provoke him looking for trouble. He was on his own, minding his own business, enjoying playing basketball. Thankfully, nothing serious happened at the time, but it gave my son and myself an awful fright. It's not safe in Douglas Village or Douglas Park, where it should be safe for kids and families during the day. There are gangs of youngsters threatening and attacking innocent kids for no reason. It's frightening and it's getting out of control, says Monica. I know that park, Douglas Park, has a user quite a lot. I walk Jack the dog down there, go up around the Mangala, in and around uh, the back village and what have you. I've seen a lot of kids there, thankfully. They're playing basketball or they're, you know, just horsing around with their mates, playing ball and what have you. I've never seen any of the things you're describing personally, but that isn't to say that I don't believe what uh, you're saying. Just with regards to the, the lad who was attacked getting off the 207 bus yesterday, 20 past 7 bus in the morning, um, uh, it, it, that, should, that should not be happening. That, that just should not be happening, full stop. Um, would it would it make sense? I don't know. Would it make sense if something like that were to happen? Should a kid go up and tell the bus driver or or, or what? I mean, or would that make matters worse? I mean, he subsequently got off the bus. Then your man followed them and gave him a really bad beating, beat him up. I'm I'm, I'm just wondering. I mean, 
Do we now need security on the buses? To the phone lines we go. Text 0868104106. Got Barry O'Brien, who's actually going to run for uh, Fine Gael in the, in the local council elections, local councillor, local council candidate in the Greater Douglas area. Barry, good morning. Hi, good morning, Neil. How would you respond to all that? The lad on the 207, the mother of the children regarding Douglas Community Park or walking around Douglas Village um, and the general um, comments of the ex-Lord Mayor Deirdre Ford yesterday. Absolutely, no, I suppose, Neil, I've been meeting residents and groups um, over the past couple of weeks and I can't believe the amount of um, incidents that have been raised to me. You know, some of you would have mentioned, particularly... The one yesterday, um, a bit school child um, getting the bus into town and being followed. Um, there's been more kind of raised for me as well. Do you know attacks around Aldi and Douglas? There was um, a sixth class student who was attacked between half two and three in Douglas Park. Do you know just after finishing school, followed by a group. And particularly, I'm living close, quite close to the Mangala as well myself. And the amount of I suppose reports you're hearing of people being attacked late at night. And I know that obviously gets worse when I suppose the lights are timed and go off. Um, at around 10 o'clock every night. So, okay, it make so it that, quite park, that park is a beautiful park and uh, and much of it yeah. is done by volunteers. It is a beautiful place and particularly at Christmas time, it's just so gorgeous. The, this attack in the park was a 12-year-old attacked in the park, picked on because he was wearing glasses, is it? Not that, that yeah. they just need an excuse. Um, and was he injured? Yes, he was. Um, like, I suppose more so, I suppose obviously physically attacked, but I think it's more so the, I suppose the lasting effect that that will have on him totally. going out now in public as well and like you said you know the reason obviously but they picked him up because of the glasses but you know, I think those thugs would have used any excuse anyway I don't think they needed one So outside outside of Aldi at half past two in the afternoon um, tell me a little bit more about that incident uh, how many were involved in it what kind of age so it was, I suppose, a group of teens. I actually only met um, a woman last night in Shamrocklawn who was telling me about it. Um, just a group of teens now. Her, uh, she was going into Aldi herself, and they just ran past. I was being followed by the manager. They were covered in blood as well. I don't know, was it that they tried to take something, or was it just a fight in the shop? But um, yeah, it's one of a series of incidents now that has come up on the doorsteps. And and, and are they and the Mangala then? Um, or there have been attacks there, gangs hanging around, is it? So that people are actually avoiding going to the Mangala, the beautiful wooded area. Absolutely, there, and it's, you know, it's within the past couple of weeks now, it's been said to be, I suppose even, people now living in Rochester who wouldn't even be, you know, I suppose wouldn't even be in walking distance have okay. got on to me and said, advising their kids to completely avoid the area. It has become a bit of a no-go okay. area at certain times of day. And these thugs and these miscreants, right? These scumbags, mm. are they local? To be honest, I do you know, particularly speaking to people, they were saying about the, you know, the junior liaison officer knows a lot of them. I don't know if they are all completely local. There's definitely a few of them. I'm not exactly sure where they are, but you know, the Gardaí are fully aware who a lot of them are. Quite Gardaí, Douglas, is it? Yes, yeah. Um, and I, would, I spoke to the junior liaison officer last week myself and exactly, look, they do know who they are. They, they're the same names that keep coming up. Obviously, they can't be named or anything like that. Because okay, so of if their they know age. who they are and the same names are coming up, then the kids, the teenagers, are laughing at them, and the parents don't give a damn. Yeah, because if the kid, if the kids know and the guards know them, then the, the liaison officer has gone to their parents. Absolutely, absolutely, and do you know I think that's a bigger emphasis has to be obviously be placed on the parents' side of that. Do you know I don't think anyone would want their child going out 
and doing any, I suppose, any of these antisocial. Well, you would think, wouldn't you? But clearly, some you of them really just hope, don't yeah. give a damn. Particularly if a guard comes and says, Your son's a thug. Your son beat somebody up. Your son's harassing somebody. He gave a fellow a bad beating in the park. And like, you think that the parents would sit up and do something with the kid, wouldn't you? Yeah, you, you would. You would okay. hope so. Okay. But okay. It's, okay. Yeah. So, what's the deal with Douglas Garda Station? When is it actually open? So, uh, Douglas Garda Station. I suppose it's something I've always. You know, I've lived in Douglas my whole life. Always felt that it should be open full time, fully manned. It's. There needs to be more resources given to it. Douglas has a population of over 20,000 people now. There's, the Garda station is open for less than 20 hours a week. Um, you know, it's over, not seven days, over seven days. Over seven days. Yeah, 20 hours over seven, yeah. That's seven but days. just under three hours a, a day. At, at specific times, is it? I've often gone up there and got the time wrong and it's it's just closed up. Yeah, the, I suppose the latest posted hours they have is that it's actually um, between 10 and 2 and that's only, um, it's, that's 16 hours, it's only four days a week that you're open. You see, we, we don't really care if the Garda station is closed, really, because that means that the Garda are on shift and they're out and about in the community, right? Well, you would hope so. There's been plenty of times that you see that, the, that there is lights on and that you wonder, is there a Gardaí in there who are actually doing the, I suppose, the, ad, the admin administrative tasks that they have to do, which is also something that has to be looked at. Can civilians go in and do this? And, you know, like those incidents that, that we had said about the antisocial side of it, when, I suppose, you know, a guard won't want to f- pursue it if they're going to be spending the next couple of days behind a desk and chasing parents and chasing oh, guardians. Oh, okay. It doesn't okay. make sense. Well, okay, but it, really, my my point is, people will be much more comfortable with, with visibility. Um, do, yes. do, you, do you know that you'd ever see a guard walking around Douglas Park? Would you ever see uh, Gardaí uh, much more difficult to police the Mangala I know but in and around oh. Aldi or the plaza outside Tesco or and for that matter walking around Carrigaline you know Absolutely I don't I don't remember Neil I don't remember the last time I saw a guard actually on the beat around like you, would see, you might see a squad car but even I would never see them on the beat and that's obviously look due to a lack of a lack of resources really for them, a lack of manpower, you know, from the latest um, group that graduated from the Garda College. Only one got sent to Cork and yeah. that was country that wasn't to the city. You know, that's not good enough for okay. a, a okay. city. There's a bit, there's a, the, apparently, apparently we're down to 300 reserve Gardaí. Do you remember the reserve Gardaí? Loads of people joined up, but many of them bailed out. Um, Helen McIntyre is starting a new push to try and get more people to become members of the reserve Gardaí. But if these thugs don't take the real guard seriously, they'll hardly take reserve Gardaí seriously, will they? No, I don't think so. I think something has to be looked at, a complete overhaul of it. I think look, guards are afraid to do anything. You see that with even the Dublin riots. You see it with incidents um, everywhere, but pretty much that um, guards are afraid to act now because, you know, they, they could be reprimanded. They don't have the powers that they should have well, either. Would it really take much to have two guardy in Douglas on the beat all the time, two in Carrigaline, two in Blackpool, two in Ballincollig, two in Ballyvalan, you know where I'm going with this. Would would that be very hard? I don't think so. And I think it would absolutely be a deterrent to people if they knew that there was Gardy on the beat around the place. Um it would absolutely dissuade people from um from any of the anti social behaviour thing. Obviously look the incidents are going to happen anyway, but it definitely would lead to a, a decrease in them. Okay. Okay.
Okay, thank you for that. Much obliged, Barry O'Brien, who will run. Uh, I'd say, Neil, just before yeah. I um, before sure. I finish, just yeah. um, the last thing is, there's um, there's a Douglas Garda forum on Thursday, the seventh of March. It's a quarter past seven in the Douglas Community Centre. I'm going to be going down, and I would advise residents as well who hear this to go down as well, bring their cases down, let the Gardaí know it's the only way we'd be able to advocate that, to get Douglas Garda Station open a bit more. Well, oh, okay, oh, thank you. That's to get the hours opened and what have you. But we don't want Gardaí in an open Garda Station sitting down doing all that dopey admin work, which is important to legal cases, don't get me wrong. What people want is for Gardaí to be out on the beat. The guards want to be out there as well. But they understand, of course, and we understand on behalf of the Garda Shikona, that they know that there's nothing they can do with these thugs because they're underage. Absolutely. And look, that's it. Get, I suppose, let, get them to the community centre, let the Gardaí know the stories that are going on out there and let's make a push to get more Gardaí out in the street okay. to okay. stop them okay. happening. Thank you for that. Just very finally then, so this young fella who attacked the lad on the 20 past 7 bus, right, there's yeah. CCTV on that bus, right? So clearly... This could be investigated. The child then got a hammering when he got off the bus from this thug in the hoodie. So the guardie will get to look at this guy's face, possibly maybe be able to identify him. I don't know. Um, he may well be already known to the guards. But it's probably a waste of time pursuing it, even though it is an assault, because what what would he get? He would just get a, a juvenile um, order, is it? Um, you know, like a warning. Yeah, do you know, actually, first of all, Joe, I used to, um, I went to school in town myself as well. I used to get to Boston five days a week and I couldn't believe it um, hearing that story yesterday. Um, you know, nothing like that ever happened when I was going to school in there, but to hear that it's happening today and just because you're from Douglas is obviously terrifying to hear that. So I think, yeah, if the guards will look at the, there is plenty of cameras either in town or on the bus. Okay. They will look at it. They will pursue them. And, you know, that's, again, unfortunately, it's probably going to be a junior liaison officer who's going to be following pointless up on it. And calling you, it. Pointless yeah. exercise unless you seriously find the parents, don't you think? Find them in yeah. the pocket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. okay. Thanks for that very much. Obliged. Barry O'Brien, local council candidate Fine Gael in the next upcoming um, local elections. Um, it's very interesting because last week there was a lad who was going home from school. Remember, he was wearing uh, a school uniform and got badly beaten up and robbed inside in town and was picked on by a bunch of young thugs because uh, I guess they didn't like the colour of his uniform I don't know, soft target because he was on his own I suppose. Text 0868104106 back after the break Text or WhatsApp Neil now 0868104106 The Neil Prenderville Show and back to, on Red FM And back to topic from yesterday with the crystal meth seizure. I generally can't come on air, but as a parent, right this minute, I'm dealing with my son who has an alcohol addiction. It's heartbreaking. As I, as a parent, cannot for the life of me understand why they're able to collect social welfare every week while having addictions. There should be something in place where they commit to a six-month plan in rehab and money and monies put in place in some form of trust until they're genuinely committed to a recovery plan. Uh, I think it's horrendous as every time my son has tried to get help and rehab, he relapsed as he knew his money was there in the post office to spend on alcohol. Maybe one day down the line I'll be able to come on air, but right now I'm just living day to day waiting on a phone call to say he's dead. The pain and suffering of my own health has been horrendous. Yes, they have to want to get well and reach out, which he did several times. But the fact he knew every week his money was there to spend on alcohol 
was the elephant in the room, in my opinion, as a parent. I really do wish that somewhere down the track there will be good news for you and for your son and that he can get the help that he needs. Some say that maybe he's still not at the point where he really, really wants help and that hopefully he'll reach that point fairly quickly uh, and turn his life around because for you as a parent it must be heartbreaking to watch from the sidelines. Now, um, uh, with regards to Kevin uh, Maughan, he's a 13-year-old lad and uh, he's... uh, lives with autism he's on the autistic spectrum he has autism um, and he hasn't been seen well he has been seen a few sightings of him but he left home at half six last night very unlike him I saw someone who could be Kevin at Pet Stop on the Kinsale Road talking to the lady behind the counter about wanting a bigger fish tank the way he spoke he sounded as if he could be on the spectrum Uh, just um, he wanted more fish in a bigger tank it was around 10.15 this morning uh, seemed to be on his own he looked between 10 and 11 years old and was taller than me, around 5 feet. Well, thank you for that. I will pass that on. Um, we also give out a description of the clothing uh, that um, that uh, Kevin was actually wearing and I'll give out the description again in a few minutes' time. But I just want to do this before, and I'll come back to everything else in the morning because this is kind of time-sensitive. There is something happening and a proposal to go uh, before uh, council tonight, um, a special meeting at half past five this evening. Um, and it involves um, the amount of funding the Cork City Council and central government are gonna give, have given already or have promised already to BAM. So we know we know of the figure of the convention, convention centre. Uh, I think it stands already at 85 million. Um, and it went from 57 million to 85 million. And that, that was even a huge increase in the entire uh, cost promised by the state. In fact, we have given more now um, to uh, we've ponied up more for the event centre than the entire original cost of the event centre from day one. Owen English's article in the, exa- in the Examiner says we've given 85 million. So Lorna Bogue um, of uh, the Rower to Gloss um, and I think Ted Tynan as well are submitting that we just need to call it a day with regards to funding for the event centre. Let, let me find out. Let me find out what she's got in mind. Lorna, good morning. What are you proposing? Um, I'm proposing a section 140 um, motion to council this evening at five o'clock. And what it is, is uh, it's part of the local government act where councillors can basically haul the chief executive in and issue an instruction uh, through passing a motion. And the instruction that I'm putting to council to put to the chief executive is to stop asking for more public money to go into a project that is basically just uh, uh, an empty site. And do what then? (laughs) Well, there's an additional part of the motion um, which is calling for um, a publicly owned um, event centre or something of that nature to go into the site instead. Um, So, you know, I'm in support of us having um, some kind of a public, um, publicly owned and operated um, event centre as are my colleagues but um, handing over as you say um, 85 million um, for, to a company that over 10 years has not produced anything um, I, I think somebody should be shouting stop. But have they signed now. but have City Council etc etc signed deals with BAM signed deals with Live Nation that they can't now back out of perhaps legally? Well, the thing is, Neil, um, and I suppose this is part of why I'm bringing it to council in this specific way this evening, is that 
as a councillor and therefore a board member of the council, um, we have never actually been supplied with the contract that exists between uh, the council and BAM and Live Nation. Um, so all of this is happening without any public oversight uh, over, over any of the process whatsoever. Yeah, but as that, so you don't know whether or not there's a legally binding document already signed that they can't reverse out of. 57's been given already. Oh, and English is quoting that there could be potentially another 45 needed, which would bring it closer to 90, 95 million. I mean, it's an eye-watering amount of money. But It, it certainly is, Neil, and, and again... You know, Owen English, um, fair play to him for the journalism that he's doing following up on this issue over the years. But Owen English knows more about this than councillors on Cork City Council. So that's your own fault if you don't sit up and ask questions. Uh, well, I did actually ask questions. So what I asked for in the previous council meeting was for a briefing, a detailed briefing to be given to councillors about this. And the government parties voted against that happening. And then the chief executive provided us with very little information. And I, I am not satisfied um, that we have not received, uh, the, that we've received no information whatsoever um, about this use of public funding. Um, and uh, I well, what, 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 do you, what do you want to know, Anne Doherty, who doesn't speak to me, will never speak to me, um, has said that she is going back to government. Michael Martin's wrote in on this. He refused to be drawn on how much is actually required, although I don't think he's going to be found wanting. Um, so that that's where we're at. Like It drags on and on. Costs keep going up, inflation, all sorts of things like that, given his excuses. So it could be another 35 to 45 million. And even then, torturously, we don't know if that'll get it started. But that's where we're at. They're going to Dublin looking for more money. Uh, yes, and the money is public money. And the public doesn't know how much is being asked for. Um, so the chief executive, in my opinion, has gone totally outside of her remit and her responsibility to Cork Council. So you think, this, you think then that Anne Doherty, the council chief executive, has gone rogue and gone on a solo run? Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that she's gone on a solo run, um, you know. So uh, certainly, um, I, I would say in this regard, um, the lack of information about it, okay. the fact that you and I are having a conversation about this, we're saying it's possibly 85 million now, we're not sure. Um, and I, as a councillor, who should be entitled to information, have to go to all of these lengths to get a very simple piece of information, which still has not been provided to me. I I mean, one more thing, Neil. It could um, potentially be a hundred and four million euro, potentially. Yes, and, and and I, as an elected representative, I'm talking to workers and carers all the time, and you know nobody is clamouring for this event centre. What people are looking for is basic, simple services that uh, the council says. Well, that's not. No that's not true. Provide. That isn't true. Yet, um, business. No, that isn't true. Business and hospitality and hotels and people like going to events would love to see an event centre. But many are wondering now why we don't publicly own it, why we don't have any skin in the game. We're literally giving the money and hoping to get it back in VAT receipts as opposed to building it ourselves. Well, the economic analysis that we have in that regard in the last report that we received on this in 2020 said that the benefit would be 36 million. Now, 36 million is a lot less 
than 100 million. Uh, so even on a cost-benefit analysis, um, this thing is not stacking up anymore. But just to say one more thing, this meeting is happening this evening. I, as a councillor, am a board member of the council. We are discussing something that requires a report from the chief executive. It is coming up to 12 o'clock and for a meeting at 5, and I do not have a report from the chief executive. Now, what way is that to run a business? I, I, I don't know. Okay, just finally then, this is not going to get across the line if what happened in the past to you with the government parties, you have Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael councillors, they'll just gang up on you and vote against all of this. Well, it, indeed, but on their heads be it. Um, you know, like if, if they want to vote for this massive waste of public money, then at least they can be transparent about what it is that they're doing. So you, you were saying this morning, you and Ted, is it just the two of you? Um, it's Brian, Councillor Brian McCarthy as well. Okay, so the three of you are saying that we should give no more funding to BAM, Stroke Live Nation, ask for all deals to be called off, and instead secure central government funding like that kind of money to build a publicly owned and operated Cork event centre ourselves. That's right. And okay. MTU has recently produced an event centre for a fraction of the cost okay. Okay. of this that has not been produced. Come back in the morning. Let me know how you get on. Appreciate you taking the call for now, uh, local councillor Lorna Bogue. Just finally um, on, you know, again... They are words, but words matter, as I say, with regards to Kevin Backhurst earlier on this morning. So the word autism, the term autism, two different points of view on the correct and respectful way of talking or describing somebody on the autism spectrum. The child comes first, Neil, not the label. It's a child with awesome autism or a person with autism. You are correct. You should not say an autistic person. Somebody else suggests, though, this this autistic, has autism thing drives me nuts. I'm autistic, as are both my kids. I couldn't care less how it's said or done, as long as it isn't being said in a derogatory way. Everyone is different, but nobody or organisation can speak for everybody. Some prefer neurodivergent, but as long as somebody isn't being rude or derogatory, I don't see why people correct anyone. I suppose splitting hairs, don't you think? Lots of other texts and calls, which you'll have to get to in the morning. I'm over time. Lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106. Remember, if you have a story to share, and people do, email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. When court talks, car people blow my mind. They talk to Neil Prendeville on Red FM.